This is your host, T. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Geek Vibes Nation. Geek Vibes Nation. 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 The Top 10. The Top 10. Hello, 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 everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. It's an end by Geek Vibes Nation. As always, I'm your host, Tia, and I have with me today, as as always, probably 99% of the time, but I have Brittany with me this morning. How are you, Brittany? I'm good, I'm good, um, just, uh, I, I was gonna tell you about, like, all the cats and everything, but you know what, the cats aren't here this time, it's gonna be a bad day, Tia, bad day, wow, no, that's, um, that's unusual, the cats I aren't know. surrounding you, <laughs> uh, I've been abandoned, I feel like it's been the running thing to have a cat here, and you know what, I'm just, uh, I'm used and abused, the cats oh. have, uh, <laughs> Well, besides that, are you all right? <laughs> uh, just good as always. Uh, just uh, doing the streams as always. Staying up a little later than I should, but excited to do the podcast. Yes, I have been staying up. It's so funny, right? Okay, it's so funny how things are. Because when I was working, like, my traditional 9-to-5 job, I felt like a grandma. I was going to bed at 10 o'clock at night, you know, even there. I want to tell you, Brittany, there were literally some nights at like nine. I sat there and said, can I get away with going to bed now? Like, is this too early? Um, But now, I mean, I'm going to bed at like one, two in the morning because I do a lot of my writing later in the day. I don't get up instantly and, like, go to my computer and start, you know, typing or whatever. I, you know, you get up, you, you know, you wake up, maybe take the dog for a walk, you clean, you eat, you know, you watch things, blah, blah, blah. And then, honestly, like, around, say, like, four is when I'm like, okay, let me pull my laptop up. So it's just really strange how, like, my schedule is now. I was going to say, I noticed that. I noticed that because with you, like... We'll be talking and, you know, her being an hour ahead and it'll be like midnight my time. And I'm like, oh, there's no way she's awake. And I'll message her after I get done streaming and I'll be like, oh, are you awake? And she'll be like, yeah, I'm still awake. And I'm like, what the, what, what? (laughs) I found that as far as, say, my writing goes, I'm a lot more productive at night, which doesn't surprise me because when I was in college, I especially when I went for my bachelor's, um, I did a lot of night classes and I felt that they were easier than say traditionally getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, getting there for an eight o'clock, nine o'clock class, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, but that's just me. That's my like life and how my schedule is now, but I still like doing our top tens in the morning. I feel that we're rejuvenated and we are doing the, Top 10 favorite documentaries. So not best documentaries because I feel like best is subjective depending on, say, what you like watching. Um, 
So for us, I think that favorite documentaries kind of fits in. I love documentaries. Um, I just, about anything really, like even if it's the most obscure thing, if it's a well-done documentary, I like watching it. Um, I don't know about you, Brittany. Are you like a huge documentary watcher? I've noticed, you know, I always have trouble watching actual shows, but like docu-series or documentaries, I find easy to watch. I guess they're set up to like hold your attention. There's a like, I remember, there's a, there's a couple on my list that I remembered watching with my memo, like as a, like as a kid, like it's sitting there and so fascinating and you would think like a documentary for a kid would be like, uh, you know, boring. But I don't know, I just always found them more interesting, but I guess it is because they put more effort into holding people's attention. Yeah, I just think that if a documentary is, like, done really well, it doesn't even matter what the subject is, you're just really interested in in it. So I'm really excited for this. Um, I have a few things to say before we get into our actual top ten list. The first thing I want to say is now... We like here at the top 10 and at Geek Vibes Nation in general to be fairly um, free of politics, right? But I do have to say, I think it's only American to say that congratulations to the president-elect Joe Biden and the first woman vice president-elect Kamala Harris. So, yes, I'm going to say that. And... You know, I guess we just lost probably half our listeners, but it's okay, right? (laughs) Um, But I just wanted to say that because it just feels good to have a candidate in general since, like, I don't know about you, Brittany, but, like, this whole week was so nerve-wracking for me. I felt like, because four years ago um, when... Trump was made president. I mean, we knew it like three o'clock in the morning, right? I remember going to bed that oh, yeah. night and I woke up around like three to use the bathroom and I looked at my phone and it was like, okay, winner, right? But yeah. this year with all like the mail-in ballots and everything, I mean, it's been like a week and there were like two days where the numbers didn't move at all. And I said to myself, this is what people who are fans of sports must feel like. I'm looking at my phone every two seconds. I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm like, come on, just put the numbers out already. <laughs> I, know, I know. I was sitting there. I was like, man, I was like, this And I, what's funny, one of the guys, I said, uh, I said I'm never going to forget the number 264. And they're like, what the hell is 264? And I said, it's what it sat at for, like, ever. For two days. For, like, two days it sat at 264. And I was like, Oh my god, I just, it was annoying, and I said to myself, I hope, I hope really that we get a handle on COVID soon, because I can't do this, like, the next election, where instead of it being a night, it's a whole week. (laughs) Uh, To be fair, I don't think the next election will be as stressful as this one. You say that, but you never know what's going to happen in four years. But I do want to say that you're probably right. This was a particularly stressful election, and we won't get into it because, as I said, we like to remain fairly politics-free here. But in I feel that all spectrums, regardless of who you vote for, you have to admit that it was stressful as fuck. <laughs> 
I, I will say the only thing I'll add to that, I just thought it was funny remembering it, is uh, Aaron posted, he said, uh, he said there's going to be a lot of men sitting in their truck making videos this week. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, probably. I want to say that, like, you know, when you're on Twitter, I think the algorithm works that you see a lot of things that are closer related to what you say believe in just because it's noticed what you've liked and you've retweeted. So you see a lot like I see a lot of positivity on Twitter. Right. But my Facebook, you know, that's a lot of decisiveness and a lot of very strong opinions on both ends of the spectrum. So I simply just posted the picture of Joe Biden winning and I'm like I'm going to leave this and I'm not going to go to Facebook for like the next two weeks because I just don't want to deal with it and deal with like seeing things or anything like that I'm just like no no why get upset I was going to say I haven't been on Facebook in like weeks I think the most of like if I get tagged in like a meme up on but I, I've been pretty good at like closing off eyes and ears to most yeah. things on Facebook because it causes you know those things where it's like does this thing bring you joy if not you know like basically get rid of it uh, after I had posted like a couple of months back a picture that was talking about how like dumb anti-maskers are and I literally had like a family member a distant family member I should say um prove that they're an anti-masker i was like you know what facebook is trash um but (laughs) yeah it was it was crazy you could tell aaron though i like that comment that's funny a lot of guys in trucks making videos have you seen the one guy who for all intents purposes he looks like he would be very much a trump supporter but when he talks he he's making fun right he's he's poking fun and he's like saying those ridiculous things um but they're all in like satire against say anti-maskers and i think he's i forget his name he's on twitter he like blew up he has like millions of followers now and he's so freaking funny yeah oh god his shit is hilarious but um let's kind of roll into the top 10 of favorite documentaries as you guys know i always like to shout out our friends over at stranger danies which have been doing these really cool things with charity lately so please make sure that you check that out as well at um the main damey i think that's really cool um but so stranger damies is the ongoing real play D&D podcast from the main Damie family of podcasts. Join them every Wednesday as the wild stallions traverse the many traps and tribulations that Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path. There's elves, weird half-dragon people, conspiracies to uncover, and more references to 1980s and Ready Player One. Subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Damies and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Damies. Stranger Damies is also a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. You can find them at geekvibesnation.com find us sorry i got tongue tied i want to say that it's crazy because you know we give some shout outs and everything um i have been listening a lot to like the h3h3 podcast and they have a lot of sponsors and they'll have like legit 20 minutes in in the middle of their freaking podcast just going through the sponsors and i'm like i want that to be us one day (laughs) 
just go through like a million. I know. And I love the way that some people like work them into like their podcast. They'll be like, oh, you have this problem. Well, you know, you see, Nord VPN can help you with this. I'm like, I want you sneaky bastard. You know, one of the things, though, um, the HDHD podcast, like, got me. They were talking about Honey. I don't know if you've heard of Honey, and I swear this is not a drop. We're not sponsored at all. We're not sponsored at all. This is not a drop. I'm just saying that they were talking about Honey, and I was like, that sounds really cool. So I just installed it in my Chrome browser, and literally I was ordering Uber Eats, and it was like, oh, we found a coupon. And it freaking saved me like $7 on that freaking um, order. So I was like, this is the best thing ever. Hmm? So what the hell? I was like, I didn't know if it actually worked or not. Yeah, no, it legitimately works. That was one thing I was thinking, too. I was like, oh, maybe it doesn't work. Um, And it literally said oh, there's a coupon, and so, and some websites, there isn't any, you know, it'll check for the coupons, and they'll say, oh, you have the best deal already, but for this one thing that I was ordering on Uber Eats, it was like $7 off, I was so happy by that, so anyway, I guess um, people do get enticed to invest in these things that um, these podcasts are sponsored by because as soon as I heard about Honey, I was like, oh, I want, I want to see about this. So, yeah. Anyway, I don't know what these ramblings are. Let's get into the top ten. Brittany, start us off with your number ten, please. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, um, I'm going to start with, uh, do you remember March of the Penguins? Oh, my God, I love that movie. We literally watch it. Every year on Christmas. I'm not kidding you. It's a tradition. Like, uh, and the thing is, like, it's so good because you're like, oh, you know, and I really feel like it jump-started, like, a lot of, like, the popularity of penguins. Like, people already liked penguins, but it definitely, like, um, it, I'm trying to think of the word for it. I, I'm sorry, one of the kittens just ran up with a toy in its mouth, like a freaking dog, and it, like, took me by surprise. Wait, you got <laughs> You got your cats back. <laughs> uh, but with much of the penguins, you know, I do feel like it jumpstarted a lot of, like, penguin popularity, especially, like, uh, as a kid, because this movie has to be, like, years old. Like, let me look at what year it came out. It's I think it's very old. No, March of the Penguins. 2005. I was nine years old when it came out. No, I wasn't. I'm sorry. I was 11. God, I can't do math. I was going to say, I was 15. We're not, like, we have a four-year difference, not a freaking, like, six-year age difference. <laughs> Sorry, I was 11. I was 11. But I will say, like, you know, I there was a lot of things, like, I know it, like, taught me, like, oh, I didn't know they had to pass their freaking egg back and forth, like, without the freaking thing dying. And then it was so cold that, like, the egg will die in, like, seconds if they fuck up the pass. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> But I will say, uh, do you remember the parts with, like, the penguins dying, like, the baby penguins? It's, like, freaking traumatic. I I sat there, and I was, like, there's sometimes I would like to, like, rewatch it, but when the penguins, like, when the little babies die, I just cannot stand it. Like, I, I get so freaking depressed. Uh, I'm trying to remember, was it in this, am I thinking of this one or a different penguin documentary where the freaking birds eat them? 
Um, I can't remember because it's so. All right, I I have one thing to say that I did confuse this when you were like the march of my brain immediately thought of March of the Wooden Soldiers. I thought you were gonna like talk about some documentary that like had something to do with like that movie. So my bad. I watch March of the Wooden Soldiers every year on Christmas, but I have watched March of the Penguins, and I feel that you are. I know that you had more to say. Uh, I just want to say that I feel like this in Happy Feet really started this, like, extreme interest in penguins. No, and that's what I was thinking, too, because I think it came before um, Happy Feet, but I feel like Happy Feet wouldn't have been able to take off like it would without March of the Penguins. But, like, I know one of the chicks dies whenever, like, a bad storm comes, I think. I like hate in, like these animal documentaries when they make you really invested in the actual like story. You like believe that they have names and personalities and everything. <laughs> well, it's sort of like uh, remember like the meerkats, like they yes. used to play. By the way, do you not feel like like Animal Planet? Like I used to watch it all the time as a kid, but I don't watch it anymore. One because I don't have cable. Or, you know, the others <laughs> that has a animal planet. But, like, um, it would kind of reminded me of the meerkats when they would die. And, like, I was like, geez. But I know, like, in the in the uh, documentaries, a freaking, like, there's one mama that, like, I think she loses her chick. And she tries to steal, like, another, like, mom's chick. And I was like, man, penguins are brutal. You don't think it because they look like these really just, like, pleasant-looking little waddly birds. But, yeah, no, the freaking Animal Planet, not, like, no pun intended or anything, but, like, the freaking Animal Planet, like, is brutal out there. Like, have you ever watched a documentary about ants? Like, just watch a documentary about ants. They are fucking insane. Ants are assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um what was I gonna say? But yeah, March of the Penguins definitely started like a phenomenon with penguins and it was really interesting because they are such like unique creatures because they're a bird but they don't fly and they waddle and they're just so like weird and interesting and I think that it's like I think penguins are probably one of the best things when you go to a zoo and see the penguin exhibit. And I think probably this documentary, like, knew that. And they said to themselves, okay, let's go um, watch the life of penguins. Yeah, but we're going to make you horribly depressed by, you know, seeing that they die. Which which is just, you know, a fact of nature. But I don't want to put in my face. Especially if it's baby penguins, because they're so cute. Like, they're they're definitely cuter than adult penguins. I do love when, like, the penguins are, like, going through puberty and they look like a whole-ass penguin. But <laughs> they still got, like, their baby feathers, so they're still, like, following their mom and dad around. They remind me of, like, dudes living in their mom's basement. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. I love it. Would you say it's a fair assessment that you wanted a penguin at some point? Like, did this make you want, like, a penguin? Yeah, I I definitely did. Like, there were some kids that were growing up that were just obsessed with penguins. My obsession was hedgehogs as a child. I love Was it really? 
Yes, I had a book. I had a book about hedgehogs, and I love this book. But then when uh, Hurricane Katrina happened, and we had, like, some kids that have, like, temporarily moved to our school, right? And I made friends with a girl that had lost everything, and I gave her that book. Aw, that was so nice of you. Oh, no, and it also kind of ended my love of hedgehogs. Not ended my love to hedgehogs, but when I didn't have that book to obsess over, it was like I was released. And maybe the book was cursed. Maybe I cursed her. Oh, my God. Um, Whatchamacallit, what was I going to say? <sighs> I totally forgot what I was going to say. Oh, don't people, like, have hedgehogs now as um pets? Like, isn't that a thing? forever like like but the thing is is you can't really like release them into the wild i think they can become like an invasive like popular like you can find them naturally in the wild in a lot of places like they're basically like how you would find mice just running around not as reproductive but i was so obsessed with them and their spiky little bodies and and when they're born they look like little jelly beans they do. They really do. It's very strange. But um, I, I do like that you started this off with March of the Penguins. I certainly think that any documentary that starts off with, like, a kind of cute documentary about animals is a good thing. Um, to respond on live, Brittany, to your message, yes, it is okay. I just want to make sure that you weren't putting it down. Um, <laughs> like that I – I mean, I was going to make sure that I didn't put it down and take it from you. Anyway. People don't even know what we're talking about. We were messaging each other back and forth. Um, Let me hit number nine. And so this is like a bit of a like very unusual documentary. But as I said, I will watch a documentary about anything. And for me, I like when I watch documentaries about things I didn't even know about. Right. Um, I of course you like watching documentaries on things that you like, say singers, actors, events, you know, that you know about, but I like documentaries that just give me a full insight on something that I had no idea even existed. So, um, this is certainly a unique documentary and it's called secrets of the living dolls. And I definitely suggest watching it. I think you can find it on YouTube. Um, it's a documentary, and again, I didn't know that this was even, like, a subculture, but it's a documentary on these men who, it's not that they're dressing up as women, but they're wearing these latex outfits that look like women. I don't know if you can picture it in your head, Brittany, or if you want to... I think I can, like, understand what you're saying, but I'm picking up what you're putting down. They're, they put on full, like, latex body suits that even have, say, the faces on them. Um, and so it's not – maybe it's a subdivision of, like, say, being a drag queen or something because they do it more – it's not like – they don't say – and this is what the documentary presented. I'm trying to explain because I don't want – it to come off offensive or anything because I'm certainly not judging. I'm saying that it was just such an insightful document documentary that I didn't even know that this was a thing. So none of these men say that they want to be women or that they're transgender or anything like that. Um, in fact, a couple of the men in the documentary have girlfriends um, which I know there's a difference between gender and sexuality, um, but 
none of them certainly express that they feel like being women. But in the documentary, it's this whole subculture, and it took place in, say, like England, um, where these men were wearing these latex outfits um, and going to clubs and um, walking down the street and just a documentary pretty much of... Like like drag queens or like is it? Well, that's the thing. It feels like maybe it's supposed to be like a subdivision of being a drag queen. But, you know, being a drag queen is when, um, you know, these men are putting on makeup and they're putting on wigs and they're putting on, uh, you know, gorgeous outfits. Like if you're listening, you've never been to like a drag queen show. You need to go to a drag queen show. But it's not them putting on makeup. Like, they literally put on a whole latex outfit that covers their face and everything, and the face is all done up and everything, but it's not them putting on the makeup on their faces. It's them putting on this, like, skin-tight latex outfit and then putting clothes on on top of that. Sorry, go ahead. I've seen those before, and I think like they come up looking, like, super in some ways. That they look off what? I'm sorry, you went in and out for a second. Sorry, I'm saying, like, when I used to see them, like, uh, they end up looking real. It is very um, interesting because I, in the documentary, a few people did kind of, like, stop and say, you know, is that real um, or is that, are they wearing something? And it's just something that makes these men feel good right they enjoy it they talk about how much they like it and it's literally they go and do just normal things it's not even say at least the way the documentary presented it it wasn't them fetish fetishizing fetishizing i can't even talk today um but not making it a fetish but literally just doing normal things like they put on these latex outfits and freaking go to each other's houses and like have a lunch party or something like that. It's just very interesting. It's something I didn't even know existed, but it does because there are companies that make these latex outfits for these individuals who are interested in it. I mean, they have forums online. So it's, to me, I wanted to put it down because I was like, I never had even heard of people who like doing this and it was just interesting because it was it you know was a look into that world. So that's why I'm putting it down. I love that. I'm like looking at pictures right now, and I actually think they look cool. <laughs> I like the hedgehog picture, by the way, that you just sent me. <laughs> I needed you to. Rem- I, I just needed you to see why I was obsessed with hedgehog. I get it. They're cute as hell. I know. I used to watch, like, videos of people, like, bathing them. I know it's weird. I'm a, I was a weird kid. <laughs> well, we already knew that. Oh. <laughs> but, no, I love that pic because, it, no, are they, were they the kind of suits that, like, I'm looking at, like, where they have, like, the lips, like, imprinted on the face of the latex suit? Yeah, so if you literally just go to Google and type in Secrets of the Living Dolls, you'll see exactly what I mean here. Let me see. And I, now I need to get, no, like, Secrets of the Living Dolls. Let me see. Yeah. Oh, they look so real. Like, it's they're a distance. 
It's for it's very interesting. It really is. And Uncanny Valley though. You know, like where something looks like it should be real but it's like really off somehow. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like at first you're like, whoa, like it takes your brain a second and it's kind of crazy because you're like, oh, um, you know, why if they're just kind of wanting to maybe be drag queens or something, why don't they say just put on makeup or something like that? But it's something that they enjoy. It's something that makes them feel good. They're not hurting anyone. So that's the thing is that. I don't want me saying any of this to sound as if I'm being mean-spirited or anything like that or even judging. Because if this is what makes these people feel good, then that's it. Like, there's no question for that. It was just interesting to me because when I put, when I discovered the documentary, I just said to myself, oh, wow, I didn't even know this existed. I think it's sort of like, um, I guess, like, the closest thing I could probably relate it to is it's kind of like with, like, fair, like furries, you know, like, when they want to dress up in the suits. <laughs> it doesn't mean they want to have sex with animals, but it just means that that's how they want to dress up and have that fun. And only, like, a small percentage of people, like, actually, like, sexualize the whole furry thing, I as I've found say, out. though, isn't there, isn't there, like, a thing, though? <laughs> it's called, like, uh... uh Yiffing? I think it's called yiffing when they like fuck in the fursuits. Oh god. How okay, uh, you know what? I don't kind of want to know, but I'm sitting there going like how is that possible? But you know, don't don't tell me. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure there's holes cut in certain places, Tia. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure as well. Um as soon as you like that's the one thing that anytime I've heard of like furries, I sit there and go, but how? And then I go, you know what? I don't want to know. But with the furries thing, right, I I want to say that I do shit on furries a little, but at the same time, it's like, you know what, if that makes you happy, then you're not harming anyone. I'm not going to judge too hard. It's just that I don't understand it. <laughs> like, um... You're going, you're coming in really low, Brittany, there. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think my hair was covering, like, the speaker hole. <laughs> um, um, so, you know, that's the thing with, like, being constantly called a furry on Twitch is that... Oh, I you're wanna... a furry, though. Oh, you're definitely. Oh, whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> For those who are listening, you should know Brittany's a furry. <laughs> No, oh my I'm god, joking. my mom. I called my mom one time. We'll be like, did mama raise a bitch? She goes, no, but I did raise a furry. And I was like, I have been between. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it's funny because, like, the whole running joke, I actually do attract a lot of furries that watch me. And what's fun is, like, they're so nice and respectful. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's only a certain percentage. You know, it's like, it goes back to, like, they're not hurting anyone. They're just, uh, they're just a group of fun people. But there is some people that take it way too fucking far. And I've seen some, fur- like, like furry porn that I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck? <laughs> watching furry porn. No, I'm saying, like, like, if you ever accidentally come across stuff and you're like, oh, no, 
Oh, no, 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 no. I've been yeah. on Reddit, yeah. I've been uh, on Reddit. I, I'm not on Reddit, so I don't really see things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's like people who do cosplay, right? You're always going to have someone who takes it, like, too far. Um, but, so, yeah, my main thing with um, Secrets of the Living Dolls is that I just found it so fascinating. It's just this really interesting documentary about a group of people that you probably didn't even know existed and um i did look up it's from 2014 i do suggest watching it because listen i mean why not learn more about humanity right so that's gonna be my number nine Brittany. what's your number eight Okay, so this is going to be, like, a little hard to explain because I'm trying to find the exact name of it and find the right one. But okay. I th- I think I narrowed it down. I think it was, uh, oh, let me find it again. I'm pretty sure. I think it is 9-11, the Twin Towers. I think that's the right one because there's a lot of, like, 9-11 documentaries. But I was trying to find the one I watched as a kid because every year... Oh, the one uh, that plays every single year? Yes, like the the one where it's, like, following, like, the survivors, following, like, uh, you know, they focus on one person and go into that. Because it was hard because when we were growing up, you know, every history class I had around 9-11, we would always watch the documentaries, right? Hmm. And I think it was this one. And I remember because, like, you were older than me when it happened, and also you lived in New York. And so for you, it's like you probably remember a lot more details than, you know, I do. But whenever we would watch the documentaries, and I, I would sit there and, like, feel, like, so sick. But I felt like it was so important for, like, say, for us to watch growing up because, you know, how they say, you know, it's like, you know, never forget, you know, and I think that was like the point they were trying to drive into is, but I, it was so pungent and so like powerful because I know people can go, oh yeah, that happened on Comico and this is what happened, that's sad, but it's like when you actually watch the documentary and go through each of these people's lives and it's like who people are, and I know this took like a more sad turn of kind of a documentary, but I thought it was so well made and just like all these people coming together and knowing exactly what they went through. And when you're a kid watching something like that, like little, cause I had to be like, like nine or 10, you know, a little more up watching these, you know, every year. And it was just so sad. And that's why I was like trying to remember the exact one, which, and I just saw where you sent me, I think that's the exact one because it did go through each person. But, um, I don't remember. And we would always watch a couple at the same time. We watch one and then we would go into another one. But I remember in one of them, um, and I remember every year we would watch it, like, I was the kid that would always cry during movies or documentaries we'd watch in class, and I was always so embarrassed about it. I remember, like, choking up the entire time, because especially, I, in this where I was like, I don't remember if it's this one or another one, um, there was, like, a guy who's on the phone with 911, and he was trapped above the impact point. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, oh, y'all got to get someone here. And I mean, I remember he sounded so mad, but, you oh, know, obviously man. scared. And then he, literally they timed it to the point that the tower collapsed 
with the audio of it, and you could, I re- it freaked me out so bad as a child, but you could hear him scream as it collapsed, and I remember that was, like, the worst thing hearing as a kid, to the point that I've probably been, like, since I was, like, 11 that I watched this thing, but I still remember it. It still, like, makes me, like, sick thinking about it, but I just thought it was such, like, if somebody really wanted to know about 9-11 and, like, have a more personal account of it more than, like, oh, there was this tragic thing, but really the humanity of it, I felt like this documentary was so good. Um, so I don't know if I've seen this one. Um, there's one that they play every year that's more so real-life footage, um, like, the during, the aftermath, and all that. So I'm not sure if it's this one, because I've seen quite a few as well. Um, calls it. I mean, it was a hard day. It was a very hard moment in American history, in the world's history, um, and New York history. Um, as Brittany said, I live very close to the city. And I vividly remember um, the panic that, you know, was in our family because of how close we were and us wondering if we should leave um, because it's like, well, are we next? Um, and it's very difficult to you okay so you know what i want to say really quickly before this it's very difficult to think sometimes about 9-11 um because at that point rudy giuliani was our mayor and he got us through 9-11 and it's very sad seeing rudy giuliani become this like ranting raving like muppet head pretty much um throughout the years Um, because it's like, wow, you were the guy who, like, we all looked up to. Um, he was so, like, he has a famous thing that he went on SNL, like, a week or two weeks after the attack, and, you know, people asking, like, well, what should we do? Like, you know, is it okay to go back to work? And he's like, we have to go back. Um, and it's like, god damn it, Rudy Giuliani, like, you should have just stayed in your little bubble and time capsule, because now it's like, no one respects you. But anyway... That that's my political opinion there. Um, I was gonna say though. I mean, I I know what phone call you're talking about, right? Because I've heard it, and it's a very difficult phone call to listen to because you know what's coming. Um, yeah. I think any nine eleven documentary is sad. Um, I'll say my personal opinion here. I hate when people tell us to just get over it. <laughs> I understand oh, yeah, that it but- was. I understand now at this point it's 19 years ago, but it's like, do you tell people who were, say, involved in, like, Pearl Harbor or Hiroshima or Nagasaki to get over it? (laughs) Do you tell them that? You know, you don't. So stop telling people to get over 9-11. Obviously, I don't agree with what happened afterwards since we've been now in a war for the past like 20 years but um regardless sorry i know this like took a really weird like opinionated turn here but it's it's just because i don't i don't know if i know exactly the documentary specifically you're talking about but um i will say there's an interesting documentary i don't know if i necessarily agree with it i just still think it's an interesting documentary to watch especially if you're one of those like 
9-11 conspiracy people. Um, it's all about the actual hijackers and how they got their, like, plane licenses in a, like, school in Florida. So I forget what that one's called, but it's actually a really interesting documentary. Um, if you don't want to kind of watch anything like that, then, you know, I don't suggest watching it, but it does you think not that like i necessarily subscribe to any of those conspiracies because i think a lot of them are nuts personally but it's a good documentary regardless yeah and what's crazy about that is like this is like a random side note but i always feel so bad about it like so i have a friend right he's older you know when i was working at walmart all the time you know, and I made friends with him, and he was like oh i'm just working at walmart for right now but he actually moved from iran Right, mm-hmm. and he, uh, yeah, it was Iran because I have another friend from Pakistan, but he was from Iran, and he was actually getting his pilot's license, and he said he was like, yeah, he goes, it's hard, he goes because he goes, I am from Iran, and he came when he was already adult, right, like mm-hmm. you know, in his twenties, and he said, and you're trying to get your pilot's license, he said, Arkansas, he goes, I have heard every joke, and I'm like. That's kind of sad. That's kind of really that sad. That is sad, though. It's like, that's not really a joke. They're probably being very mean-spirited. Oh, yeah. Being and because uh, even I'm like, oh, yeah, my friend, you know, he's getting his pilot's license, and I instantly get the look. And I'm like, no, it's not like that. And they're like, well, you don't know. And I'm like, that's messed up. That's my friend. That's not, you know, that's also, not typical. It should, also, it should be... um stated that I don't think any of the hijackers were from Iran. I think they were all from Saudi Arabia. Um, It's just, if you, okay, really quick, this isn't a documentary, but it might as well serve this one. If you ever watch the movie Vice, um, starring Christian Bale, where he played Dick Cheney, it explains why we even went to Iran in the first place when we had no business going there because they had nothing to do with the hijacking or anything. It's an oh, interesting yeah. movie, and you're like, what the fuck? So I'm sorry. I just I know you 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 know weren't anything. I'm just I felt like putting that disclaimer out there that like none of them were from Iran. <laughs> they were all from I Saudi know. Arabia. <laughs> like when I like read so I'm like, wait a second. But yeah, like, and I hope I have the right one. It's just as a kid, and I haven't watched these in a long time, there was a lot that blended together. So I guess I could say 9-11 documentaries in general, but I'm pretty sure it was 9-11, the Twin Towers, the one I'm thinking of, where it kind of focused on each individual person. But I might be blending in some of the other ones I watched, because we would always watch them in a row, if that makes sense. Which is so strange because they never showed any of those sort of things in my school. I'm wondering if it's because I went to Catholic school, but they never showed any of that for us. uh, And I I, I wonder if, like, they wanted people to know because I'm like, maybe with, like, kids that are from New York, they're like, okay, that's already fun that you already know. But I guess being from Arkansas, I remember, like, you you said that your mom picked you up on 9-11. I don't, I don't, I don't. I think they shut down school, but I don't know if I got picked up. But I remember, like, I think the teachers didn't know what to do. Like, I think they ended up, like, I remember, the only thing I remember, because I was, I was, like, uh, seven, I think, when 9-11 happened. And I think I just remember, like, they said, uh, they said we're not having normal classes. And they just, like, put us all in one room, like, all my class. 
whatever grade I was in at seven to like, I don't know if we were watching the news or we were just watching TV, like a movie, and then they let us go to recess and basically just go have time outside. And I remember the teachers weren't really talking because, you know, as an adult, you can actually recognize what's going on. But when you're a kid, that like I remember like nobody really knew what to do. And the kids were like, and they hadn't really told the kids yet, but, like, one kid found out, and then they're, like, making it sound way different to everybody else. Like, oh, we're all going to die, and, like, all the kids are panicking, and you're like, okay, wait, whoa, 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 let's pull this back now. Because there's always <laughs> going to be that one kid, you know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, that that's all I truly, truly remember of it. And I think that for, like, being from where I am, it's, like, it was important to watch those and know exactly what was going on and have it you know, not be forgotten. So I'll tell my story really quick just because it's crazy listening to other people around my age and maybe a little younger, maybe a little older and how, like, they found out. My school was so secretive about it, right? So looking back on everything, right, because you didn't know what was going on at the time, but looking back, right, um, I remember that. So my school is a Catholic school. It was very small. Um, so like kindergarten to say fourth grade, there was only one class of each grade, but then from fifth grade to eighth grade, each class had like two. So it's like, you know, you had two fifth grade homerooms, two sixth grade homerooms, two seventh grade homerooms, you know, whatever. Right. And like in one big hallway and you would, um, you know, go to your next class, you would shift because each teacher taught a different subject. Right. So um, whatever subject we were in at that, the class I was in at like 9 a.m., right? I remember the principal calling all the teachers to the hallway. Why? I don't know. At the time, I didn't know, right? But now yeah. that I'm an adult, I'm assuming, because the principal was telling them what happened. Um, then I remember the teachers coming in. And again, they didn't tell us anything. And I remember slowly you start hearing on the loudspeaker, would blah, blah, blah come to the office, your mom is here to pick you up. Would blah, blah, blah come here to the office, your mom is here to pick you up. And you're like, oh, maybe they're sick. Maybe something happened. You know, blah, blah, blah. You don't think about that, right? Um, And then I think around like 10, 10, 15, whatever, if my mom listens to this, she could tell me later. Um, Then it was like, well, Tia comes to the office, your mom is here to pick you up. And it's like, why? And you're like, what the heck? And I knew something was wrong because my mom had her best friend Joe with her, which they worked together, but Joe lived in Queens, which is across a bridge, you know, like why would she be there after work? And I remember distinctly as we were leaving, my principal, who was a very horrible woman, I'll say that on air, she was a horrible woman, um, the principal, goes, says out loud, I don't know why all the parents are picking their kids up. And my mom was, you know, probably said something along the lines of, like, why do you think, you know? And obviously then I learned what happened once we, you know, left the building. But I had a friend. She was a very... Picking up in Arkansas. Like, I remember kids getting picked up. That's why I can't remember if my mom picked me up or if they just shut down school. Like, because, like I said, I was so little. I, I don't remember that part. But I don't think anyone would have griped about it here. Yeah, she and was a very hor- she was a very horrible woman. But um, my point in saying that I had a friend who her mother was a nurse. 
So she and her mother was a single parent. So her mother couldn't pick her up. Um, And we had talked the next day. And my friend had told me that by the time, like, 2 o'clock happened, you know, the end of the school day, there were only six kids left in the class, and they still hadn't told any of them what was going on. And you have to remember these classes were, like, 20 kids or something like that, you know? So it's like there's only six kids in the class, and no one is telling these kids what's happening. So it was very um, a very crazy time, and I'll never forget, like, how – um our school decided to handle that um it was really crazy but yeah um i know we like went off on a tangent but i think you can't help it when you're talking about 911 you're talking about something like this so i don't know if i've seen this specific documentary i've seen others um that you know are always elicited emotional reaction from myself but um i'm glad that you put it on because it is something that I don't think people should forget because it really wasn't that long ago. <laughs> and people are saying this, by the way, like five years afterwards, I remember. I remember being in college and hearing these girls like laughing, going, I don't know why people still talk about it. And, you know, I, and, you know, Brittany, I'm not going to say his right. name on it. And, you know, I'm not going to say his name on air, but I have a friend who lost his older sister because she was a first responder EMT worker, you know, when the towers collapsed. So, like, and I didn't have this friend back when 9-11, we became friends in high school. But, um, you know, hearing things like that, I'm always like, okay, so you clearly never had, didn't have anyone who died during the attacks because you wouldn't be reacting this way if you did. But you know what's wild, and this last thing I was saying because I like I, it's it's wild that by the way I I didn't think they ever found anyone in the rubble, right? Like no, ever. I mean bodies, found, but no alive. They did. They found like like three or four. There was a lady. Really? The, there was a lady who was going down the stairs, and I think like it collapsed. And she was with other people, and she got covered in the rubble, and she her she said she was, like, hot and cold at the same time. Her leg was crushed, and she was laying on something soft, and it was the body of her co-worker, oh and I think it, like, pushed and fall, and a dog found her. And uh, and she was still looking for the man. There was like a like a fire. There was a firefighter that comforted her, and then they got her. And she actually made a full recovery. And they thought she would never walk again. And her leg. She was, I think, the last person found, or no, the first person, the last person found. But because I thought they never found anyone, and I don't know what I got into me. I didn't know what got into me to actually look like and see if they found anything there was like three or four like most people that they found was like if they were outside the area and then when it collapsed and it pushed them back but the lady was like actually in the tower and it collapsed and they found her and i thought that was so freaking wild like what are the chances i couldn't even imagine like i really couldn't um yeah, it's it's really crazy. I didn't know that. That's so interesting. Um, I was going to say that I was going to say like two other things before we moved on. And now I like kind of drew a blank here. But oh, um, do you know freaking 
uh, John Stewart. He was a former uh, host of The Daily Show before Trevor Noah took over. I think so. I think so. I think I know who you're talking about. So John Stewart, like, has done more for, um, like, 9-11 first responders than anyone else because, unfortunately, a lot of people who were first responders um, or even those who have volunteered have developed serious health problems due to all of the asbestos um, that was in the air due to the towers collapsing. Um, and a lot of them have gotten sick. A lot of them have died in the past two decades. And John Stewart has been the one going to Congress and fighting for them to, you know, oh, get know proper treatment. Yeah, and yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, it's just really cool to see him, like, using his celebrity voice to actually do some good. But also a little concerning that no one else is fighting for these people as hard as he is. But I will say one thing that if you are in New York, obviously now is crazy because, you know, we should be social distancing. But if you get the opportunity, you should go and see the 9-11 memorial because it is very tastefully done. I think that it's nice what they did there, but at the same time, I refuse to go into the museum because I think it's ridiculous that they're charging people $30 for admission. So that's my thing with the, with the museum that's literally there. <laughs> like I'll see what they actually did like on the outside. It's very nice. It's very somber. Um, but I refuse to go into the museum. You're not charging me $30 for this shit. That's ludicrous. It should be free. <laughs> like one day like at least outside yeah i mean the outside is nice i mean which sounds like weird to say it's nice it's a it's a very tastefully done um memorial is what i should say but um great job putting this down for number eight i'm going to get number seven i feel <laughs> I feel bad picking another, like, really depressing documentary, but I have, like, a lighter one that I want to put later on the list because it's one of my favorite of all time. So um, I'm putting down for number seven. I don't know if you ever watched Bowling for Columbine. Oh, 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 I heard of it. I heard of it, but I don't know if I've seen it. So Bowling for Columbine is the documentary by Michael Moore. Um, I think we talked about Michael Moore the other day, and you're like, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. I'm just naming him all over the place now. (laughs) Um, But Bowling for Columbine um, was about the um, mass school shooting um, that essentially, like, I don't think it was the first school shooting, right? But it certainly was the first that got as much media attention as it did. Um, and I think was really kind of like a symbol for um, a lot, right? It was like a symbol for how the media handled it, how um, freaking, you know, things were covered around. And then also there was a lot around, say, not only the two guys who were involved, but also the ease in which they were able to purchase the firearms that they used to um, 
you know, wreak havoc on their school, right? Because this is the thing. So Michael Moore went to um, – so it was the Columbine High School shootings, um, which – oh, God, is this bad that I don't even, like, remember where the fuck it was in or anything like that? Um, what you calls it? Uh, let me look so that I can actually – because it's been a while since I've seen it. Oh, in Colorado. Sorry. Okay. So in – the documentary michael moore literally goes to colorado and pretty much like sees at least for the time because this is in 2002 um sees how easy it was to get a firearm i think he went to say a walmart or something he went to like a walmart and he like bought something completely unrelated and they were like oh and here's your free pistol with that and he was like oh thanks (laughs) like (laughs) yeah it's like (laughs) This is funny coming from Brittany, who lives in Arkansas, which I believe has very, like, little laws when it comes to, like, your firearm purchasing, so it's funny just hearing her reaction. Still, like, just, like, you know, I've seen the things where, like, oh, get your engagement ring, get a free shotgun or something like that, but I think for, like, me, it's, like, my, my thing is, like, I, I don't, that's where, like, the middle ground is, and this is the stay away from politics. Most of the guns that we have in Arkansas are for hunting, you know? Like, you get, like, oh, your your rifles and stuff, and it is more, like, hunting stuff because, you know, we do face an overpopulation of deer, and the deer are dangerous on the roads, right? That part I'm fine with, like, killing for just, like, you know, population control and, you know, so things aren't dangerous and the diseases they get. But the fact of, like, like, being able to get something automatic or get something dangerous is just freaking, like, terrifying to me for that exact reason. So to be like, oh, here's a pistol. It's like, what? What? <laughs> but but you can even say, though, even what you just said, like, here's an engagement ring, buy a, get a free rifle, is also part of it. And I'm not trying to have, like, a deeper discussion about, like, no, gun rights too. or anything like that. But... That was Michael Moore's point, because the whole thing is that you have these two guys who were so easily, the high schoolers, right, easily able to obtain the necessary firearms to wreak havoc in a school. How are these two kids able to get it, right? They're kids. They're teenagers, right? Um, And they were able to just so easily get it. So the whole documentary not only goes into that, it goes into how the media blamed a lot of key, like, controversial figures at the time, such as Marilyn Manson, Eminem, South Park. And, you know, really great interviews by, say, Marilyn Manson, who's like, you know, the media is so... um, eager to blame me because you find out they listen to my music but these kids had at least one of them had a diary talking about how depressed he is how this and he goes none of these kids felt comfortable talking to their parents he goes it starts with the parents like talk to your kids he's like this could have been avoided if and you know kind of also talking about like bullying and how you know Uh, These two kids were bullied quite often by, say, like the jocks of the schools or anything, which let me say so that there's no confusion. I don't condone any of this. It's no reason for anyone to lose their life. But the documentary was um, just looking at all of these different factors where people kind of want to blame everything except taking accountability 
of why something like this happened, the lack of security on campus, um, the lack of communication with the parents, the bullying aspect of other children, right? Um, so different things. And then also obviously talked about the two kids that were involved. And there were just such scary stories. One was this one kid, um, you know, and the whole reason why I was called Bowling for Columbine is because I believe the two kids had, like, a, I guess in this school there was a bowling class, and they had missed their bowling class. Um, and you had one of the high schoolers was, like, smoking a cigarette outside, and these two guys, you know, the two perpetrators in this attack were walking up to the school, and the kid outside knew them. And he was like, oh, you guys missed, you know, first class. You missed bowling. And they told him, we like you, so we're giving you one chance now to leave. You should go home. And he's like, what? And they're like, yeah, no, you you should go home. And he did. He went home. He was just like, I don't know what's going on. And come to find out, these guys, you know, it was just fucked up. It really is. It's such a crazy um, documentary. But I love the way that Michael Moore did it because – it really was like a media shit shit show afterwards and them just wanting to blame like, oh, look, they they listened to Eminem. They listened to Marilyn Manson. This is clearly, uh, you know, what the result of listening to this music. Parents, you know, watch out, blah, blah, blah. And you have Marilyn Manson there going or parents talk to your kids like what's going on here. So it was just like several things of um uh which calls it like several factors of again the ease of being able to purchase these firearms the media's reaction to bowling for uh, the media's reaction for columbine and um just there was a lot of factors i know in like recent years you know unfortunately there's been a lot of school shootings and yeah. i think people have stopped really trying to look into the psychology of why these kids do this. But I think bowling for Columbine was very interesting because that's what it decided to do. It decided to look into the psychology of these two kids, one who was clearly a stronger personality than the other and being able to influence the other who was a very depressed guy um, and had a lot of problems that could have probably been, um, you know, fixed or at least you know helped if not for the fact that you had this other kid influencing him and the fact that neither of them had a very good home life um to talk to their parents so it was just interesting it was really interesting um to listen to i thought it was my first michael moore documentary that i had ever seen and i thought it was great having these different um interviews by say Marilyn Manson, um, the creators of South Park, and I forget if Eminem was even involved, but, you know, these these figures at the time that really um, parents want to blame for their child's, like, bad behavior. You know, um, I I don't know if I, I've told you this story. It's like, um, which one? It's like, it's crazy, because one thing I, I noticed that they've changed this story on is they're always like, oh, they were bullied. And it's like, it turned out they were bullies. They were more bullies than anyone to the people around them. And, but another thing was, is that, I don't know if I told you this story. It's like, so, Jonesboro uh, has one of the 
the youngest, like, school shootings in the U.S., right? Because these middle school students um, brought guns to their school, right? These two. And it's why is it always in twos? Like, sometimes. Not always, but. And I don't know if it was after Columbine or before Columbine, right? But um, one of, there was two boys. Uh, I think they killed, like, one or two classmates and their teacher. I think that I think that's as far as they got, and both boys were, you know, caught alive. One, well, you know, any is awful, but I'm just saying, like, well, I didn't know uh, growing up, my, one of my parents' best friends had a guy in his employment, right? And I remember he was really nice, and I was little. I was little at the time. He was really nice, and I was always like, oh, and mom was like, I don't really want you around. And I was like, oh, he's nice. And she, like, later on told me that he was one of the kids that had grown up and been released from prison that had done the shooting. Yeah. Oh, Oh, I know. I know. Like, and the thing was is that, so there was two of them, right? And one stayed in the system and was, you know, constantly, you know, he, because they were like little, like middle school, right? And one who was the mastermind of it, like stayed always constantly in trouble, you know, in drugs, you know, everything else. And uh, I think stayed in the prison. I think he's still in the prison system, right? But this guy, he had gotten out of prison and, you know, and and, I, and I'm saying, like, take this all with a grain of salt, right? Or a grain of sand. I don't know. Grain of salt. Uh, salt. But, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, uh, But, um, you know, he talked about, like, how, you know, he had thought about doing it. And then, like, the other guy had more bullied him into it and was like, well, if you don't follow through with me now, I'm going to kill your family type shit. But, and that guy, it's so... This guy got out of prison, right, after, like, or, like, the juvenile, I don't know if he got out of prison or juvenile system, but they didn't give them life, right, because they were minors, young minors, uh, even though I've seen cases where they would do it anyways, but he stayed out of the prison system. I think he still struggled with, like, drugs from, like, the guilt of it, but uh, he changed his name, and and that's where it's, like, it's really weird when you meet someone and you think, oh, they're nice, right? You think, oh, they're good. And then you find out, like, this horrible truth about them. I remember it, like, terrified me as, like, a kid, right, as soon as I heard it. But um, that, but he ended up, um, oddly enough, he ended up, uh, there was a, a bad wreck by where my parents live, right? It was a head-on collision. Uh, that dude, from you know the shooting and stuff actually still he he had moved to my town or like the town right next over and he was actually killed in that head-on collision so he's gone but like it's just like a wild story so yeah i didn't know if i had told you that story growing up but yeah there you go yeah no it's it's just really crazy because um I mean, I feel like, what, in 2017 alone, we had so many school shootings across the nation that, like, you can't pinpoint um, uh, every single one, right? So it's like, okay, well, what makes Columbine so crazy? And I think it was because it was the first one that there was such media attention. You never really heard of a school shooting before that. So it was like that concept alone was just so wild. And then and so it was just like all these different factors that it's like just made the 
that situation stand out so much. And I just remember, I mean, I was, that's like 2002 or something. Like, you know, I was 12 and you go into high school. That's only a few years afterwards. I feel, and, you know, a lot of the people that I hung out with and me, myself, we listened to Marilyn Manson. We like South Park. And so I think that there was still this, like, uh, stigma around people who like those sort of things because those are the things that were blamed for um, in that case. But it was just, it's a really good documentary um, regardless, I guess, of what you think about the situation. Um, and I think that it's still worth watching even though now at this point it's so old and unfortunately as a country we're kind of used to these violent acts happening, which I will tell you, Brittany, before we move on to anything, I have never been a fan of homeschooling, and I still am not a fan of the idea of homeschooling because I feel that it doesn't allow for social interactions. But as a, if I were a parent, I would be very worried because this seems to, at least you know, a couple of years back, this seemed to be the norm of what was happening. Um, it seemed like every week uh, the news was covering another incident. Looks like um so you know Aaron yeah, was homeschooled and he'll say you know he's like you know his parents were good about like if you're gonna homeschool take your kids to a lot of like social events like to do at least with other homeschool kids he said because it is very easy for a kid to get you know get the the stigma of like the homeschooled weird kid he said so if a kid if a parent's really gonna homeschool they do need to like let them socialize, make friends, and do that. But it is easy to get the alternative of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, homeschool kids are weird. No, I just wanted to shit on Aaron. Um, but, yeah, so <laughs> uh, number seven is Bowling for Columbine. Brittany, what's your number six? Oh, man, I got to look. I, we were on a roll with those last two. I was like, let me uh, – so I, I realized, I was like, we spent a lot of time on those. Let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> I know, it's fine. I love it. Let me, let me see here. I think I'm going to go with, let me see. Do you remember the, the documentary? Like, I remember this being the first documentary I ever watched was freaking uh, Super Size Me. Okay, so do you know I've never seen that? Because I've heard it's real... Because I heard it was, like, really gross, and I'm like, I don't want to be grossed out. <laughs> uh, but I do know, before you go, anything that supersized me was responsible for getting McDonald's to take away their supersizes, which people were pissed about, by the way. I don't know if you were old enough to remember, but people were <laughs> mad about that. <laughs> well, I came in 2004. Maybe it wasn't the first documentary I watched, because I probably watched the Alamo ones first. But I remember it being one of the first one I watched. I was like, let's see. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I was ten years old when it came out. But I remember I was at my mom's house. Do you like how this is the running theme of always watching documentaries with my grandma? Um, <laughs> well, she's an amazing woman, so. <laughs> like, uh, so she, so we were watching it, and I was like, what the hell is this? But, you know, it's, so it's about, you know, a guy wanting to do a social experiment and see, like, how bad basically what it would be if he ate all of his bills at McDonald's and what it would do to him. And I know there's, like, controversies where they're like, oh, well, he was eating it like, just McDonald's. The normal person doesn't eat McDonald's every day. To be fair, I have watched people eat McDonald's for every meal 
and well, about every mill. Yeah, but it's like uh, so he goes through. I can't remember how long he does. I think he ends up doing it until he can't. But I think he had to end up ending it because his health was getting so bad. Because at first he was, a, you know. And people say this this documentary is a little bit controversy, but I think it was important for people to see how bad fast food can be if consumed. You know, mm-hmm. it's bad once you're like, you know, constantly consuming. And I love McDonald's. Don't get me wrong. I love McDonald's. But I remember even as a kid, like, it terrified me of fast food for a while. Like, And I think that sometimes that's what people need, especially if they're eating it for every meal. But, um... So, it, so it says it took 14 months for him to lose the weight he had gained. He had, like, gained 13% like of, a, of his body mass increase, increased his cholesterol to th- 230 milligrams, and, uh, uh, like, I'm trying to think, he got mood swings, sexual dysfunction, fat accumulation in his liver, and it took him 14 months to lose all the weight he had got from the experiment. But I thought, like, I remember, like, he starts feeling so bad, like, and because he was, like, healthy, he was in shape, but once he started doing that, you know, it it did show exactly what it did to him, and I think it is easy for people to go, well, it's cheap, and it's quick, you know, and I can just eat it, but it's like, realizing what that can do to you, especially, like, because did you know, like, a lot of bodybuilders and stuff will actually bulk on fast food? Because when you're trying to have enough of that storage, like, fat storage and all that to actually, like, basically the fuel you need to work out, a lot of people will bulk off of it, but it's not the, the healthiest way to do it. Um, so I just, I went on Wikipedia and it said that it was a 30 day period, which is crazy that within just 30 days, it's crazy that within just 30 days, um, for that all to happen. But Brittany, this was a huge phenomenon when this documentary first came out. Again, McDonald's took away its supersize, um, levels. It started putting the nutritional and calorie count on everything. And I believe that caused other fast food chains to do that as well um so this is a huge phenomenon i've just never watched it because i don't want to be grossed out by food even though i really don't eat mcdonald's like at all the only time i'll eat mcdonald's is like i'm drunk and you know it's like late at night and nothing else is open you're like fine i'll go get some chicken nuggets you know (laughs) um but i don't really eat mcdonald's i don't really eat like fast food and that's not me like virtue signaling or anything because i'm not like thin but i don't really eat like fast food just because it all fucking looks fake as shit and i'd rather have some real shit like than anything although yesterday i did have shake shack but shake shack doesn't count it's like a different breed i love shake shack Uh, i thought you were about to be like shake shack and i was like i don't know if we could be friends You know my obsession with Shake Shack. They recently came. This is so bad. We're talking about like fast food. I'm like Shake Shack. Um, they, they recently came out with like an extra hot chicken sandwich, and it is amazing. Um, but <laughs> I think also Super Size Me 
is when McDonald's stopped using, like, mystery meat for their chicken nuggets, and they were like, oh, white meat, breast, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what were you using beforehand? <laughs> like, what are <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. No, no, you're fine. I just remember, like, I it terrified me at McDonald's for a while. And I will say, whenever I was working at Walmart and I was constantly, like, eating at Walmart or eating, like, fast food, because when you live, you know, 15 minutes away from where you work and it's either drive all the way home and do 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back, and only have, like, 30 minutes, right, to actually rest, you're like, oh, you get something. And I will say, when I was eating fast food every day, I felt like such shit. Like, I could just feel that, like, grease sitting in my stomach. You really can. You can really feel, like, the grease. And you don't know, like, what it's made out of. Like, I've had people who I know worked at McDonald's, and they say, like, their fries aren't even, like, really fries. It's, like, potato gelatin or some shit like that. And it's like, that's so fucking nasty. I love the fries. <laughs> There's something so wrong, though, at, like, fast food because it, as you said, it's so cheap, right? Go look at their menu, right? Uh, Especially when they had, like, the true dollar menu. Now I don't think it's really a dollar menu, but they had the dollar menu. And you can get a burger and fries for, like, two bucks, but their salads were, like, five, six dollars. So if you only have a few bucks on you, you're like, shit, freaking Big Mac. And their freaking salads were not good because I've had their salads in the past and they're like boring and crap. Um, At least like say Wendy's has like nicer salads, but it's like if you're going to go to a fast food place, like don't even bother with the salads, right? Like just, I don't know. But um, no, I know that Super Size Me was a phenomenon. I I'm very surprised, honestly, that, like, McDonald's recovered after that. Like, that was huge. It reminds me of those commentator videos where they, like, freaking drag somebody through the mud and they're, like, you know, canceled. And then, like, somehow (laughs) they survive and you're like, how? You're like, how? And and that's the thing is that McDonald's has been, like, canceled several times, not only from Super Size Me, but the lady who, like, got burnt from the fucking coffee. Mm -hmm. And I started watching this other documentary. I didn't finish it, but it was on HBO called McMillions. And it was all about, like, the scandal with McDonald's and their, like, game, like, Monopoly game that they had, like, years ago and shit. Um, It was, like, this whole big scam where, like, I don't know. I forget, like, the whole thing because I didn't finish watching it. But, um, yeah, no, I'm surprised McDonald's is, like, still standing. Can I add something real quick? I feel super strongly about the lady that got burnt by the coffee because I am still pissed off on how people treated her like, oh, you know, she got burnt by her coffee and then she sued. Oh, it was her fault. No, 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 no. The thing was is, though, it was, like, way hotter than their coffee ever. Yes, coffee will burn you badly. Their coffee should not have caused third-degree burns upon contact. And one... The lid wasn't put on properly. Two, the, all the money almost that she got from the freaking lawsuit was so that, um, it was the freaking, like, because it dropped in her lap. She had to have, like, genitalia, like, like surgery 
because it burnt her so badly that it disfigured her down there, and she was just like an old lady. And the thing was is that McDonald's went on a smear campaign against her because they didn't want people constantly suing them, so they made it sound like some like silly lawsuit. Can I be honest with you? Back in the day, I was one of those people. I was like, no. I, I was like, oh please, she she spilled hot coffee. It's it's no one, you know, blah blah blah. But I had a conversation with Cindy years ago, and she pointed out all the things that you've pointed out. And I was like, oh, you know what? Like, let me not be mean and talk out of my ass. And I did the research that you've probably done, and I'm like, okay, that that's fair now. I do say probably my grandpa would still be happy about it. He probably drank that coffee because uh, my grandpa a uh, side note that joke really isn't funny if you don't know my grandpa. My grandpa likes everything scalding. Like his coffee, he drinks black and it has to be like hot as lava. I remember he came over to my house one time and I made him coffee out of the Keurig and literally like you know, the Keurig poured the coffee, literally handed him the cup, and he's like, can you put this in the microwave? It's not hot enough. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, he he likes his coffee very hot. We go out for breakfast, and, like, I'll have my coffee with, like, cream and sugar in it, and I have to let it, like, cool down a little, and he's just drinking it black and just drinking it instantly. So I like to joke that he would have liked that coffee a lot. <laughs> huh? must be like callous <laughs> but no i i get what you mean with that woman like i used to be one of those people that was also kind of talking smack a little um until i did more research and i'm like yeah no coffee shouldn't make you need fucking reconstructive surgery well that's the thing it's like and i don't blame people because it is like mcdonald's is the reason why people make fun of her you know what I mean? Like, they didn't want more people suing or things like that. And they had had issues for a long time with that place, and they had been warned about the temperature of their coffee. And it's just like, I don't know. And, I, and it's like, that's why I don't hold it against anyone, but I'm also like, screw McDonald's. This is what I'm saying. McDonald's, like, I'm... I'm sorry, like McDonald's is crap, all right? There, are, if you need fast food because you're in a hurry, because that is the whole idea of fast food, right? It's like there are so many others that are better than McDonald's and their thin ass burgers and their gelatin fries and shit. Like, go to a Wendy's. Like, Wendy's is so much better. I like Wendy's. I used to hate Wendy's, but but Aaron's made me like it. <laughs> I I love Wendy's. Their chicken sandwiches are bomb. See, that's the thing. I'm not really, like, into burgers, so I don't really care about burgers. It's all about the chicken sandwiches. <laughs> did you see that the guy who did Super Sizing, I think he did a sequel, but I don't know, like, what that entailed, and I don't think it really, like, got as much traction as his first one. Let me see. I'll look it up real quick. Super Size Me... Two, it was, apparently my internet doesn't like me now. (laughs) Holy Chicken, it was about, uh, it's about opens its own chicken restaurant to explore industry claims that fast food is now healthier, more natural, and organic. Yeah, I can see people not like really liking that as much. It's not a, it's not as juicy as taking down McDonald's. Um, 
we're watching a guy like double his body weight in 30 days you know i will say though because it is like the whole documentary is supposed to be about fast food, but he was just eating McDonald's. Like, they should have had, like, other people doing, like, 30 days on Burger King, 30 days on Wendy's, 30 oh, days yeah. on Taco Bell, 30 days on KFC. Although, I feel like the people who ate, like, Taco Bell would just be, like, wrecked every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, right? Right? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, if, if you're going to, like, do a true experiment, you got to do all of the big ones. That's a good point, actually. Like, because that's what I thought whenever you said that. I was like, oh, it's probably about, uh, like, Burger King or something. I didn't expect it to be about, like, the deeper. Like, and I get it's more, like, on the chicken side. Like, like um, about more what goes into making the food, I guess, which would be the smart way to do it. But, but as for a selling point, I think the other stuff's better. Right? Right. Oh, uh, right? The only thing, like... I guess, I don't know. Have I ever really liked anything? I'm trying to think if I ever sat there and I was ever going, man, this shit. Okay, I will tell you the one thing I actually like for McDonald's. You're going to laugh. They oh, have okay. they have really good buffalo sauce. Like, their buffalo sauce is better than, like, any other freaking buffalo sauce. Like, I'll get the buffalo sauce now. Oh, shit, man. Like, if I'm going to McDonald's and even if I get, say, a chicken sandwich or even a burger, like, the few times that I will be craving, say, like, a quarter pounder or something, I'll be like, can you bring, give me buffalo sauce on the side? I dip my fries in that shit. Like, I do like their buffalo sauce. They should just make bottles of those. Hmm? I'm sorry. I was just imagining you, like, sitting there, like, coming there. It's like, oh, what do you want to order? No, I just want your sauce. Imagine that. Imagine you just, like, I go, like, to the drive-thru, and I'm there. Okay, how can I take your order? And I'm like, yeah, ten things of buffalo sauce, please. And they're like, anything else? And it's like, no, that's it. Just give me, like, ten or twenty things of buffalo sauces. Oh, I have a really funny story about McDonald's really quick before we move on. Um, (laughs) when I was like, I don't know, 17, 18 or something. And, you know, I was hanging out with a a different group of friends than I have now. Um, there was like quite a few of us and one of my friends and her boyfriend went to McDonald's and they did something like they got 20, um, dollar menu burgers, right? They got like an obscure amount. Uh, 20, 30, whatever, right? They come back. I think at some point the McDonald's workers stopped trying because there were some that literally didn't have burgers in it. There was just buns. And then there was a few that had burgers, but there was no buns. It's like they just gave up after a while. They're like, fuck. Oh, my God, though. Who orders 20 burgers? I mean, the only time you do that is with White Castle. Do you guys have a White Castle? Have you no, ever had? I, I hear White Castle is the only thing you eat when you're drunk. You don't get it when you're sober. You do not get White Castle when you're sober. I will tell you that right now. When you're sober, you're like, this is the most disgusting thing ever. Because you think like McDonald's burgers are bad, which I know you don't because you like McDonald's. But it's like you see how thin that burger is, right? Now White Castle is like half the size, the bun, and half the size of the burger, and even thinner, right? It is like nothing. It's like a bite size, like. Their burgers are like sliders, but paper thin. And you're like, this is crap. 
this is crap. But when you're Why drunk, out hearing it. But when you're drunk, you're like, yo, let's go to White Castle, and you're just like, this is the best thing I've ever had. Like when I was. When I was in my young 20s and, like, going to the bars, do you know how many times at, like, 3 in the morning it'd be like, okay, we're leaving the bar. Let's go get White Castle. (laughs) And White Castle does this thing where they literally have, like, their boxes that come with, like, 30, 40, 50 fucking burgers in it, you know? Um, Oh, God, one more story. I promise we'll move. The people listening are like, this docu- this uh, documentary top ten is going off the rails, um, but <laughs> it's less about the documentaries now and it's more about our our storytelling. Um, there was one time I threw a Halloween party, right, and I think we went at some point during the party to the White Castle, which is so funny because the White Castle is like really close to my apartment now. But I don't go to it because I don't, like, get blackout drunk or anything anymore. Which I never did back then. I didn't like blackout, but close to it. I like it anymore. Um, But, so, there was that point. I had a Halloween party. We went and we picked up, like, something like 50 fucking burgers at White Castle. Because they're really cheap and they sell the boxes, right? And I remember, like, we ate them, whatever. And then I go to bed. I wake up. I'm hungover as fuck, right? It's like nine, ten o'clock in the morning. I like come out of my freaking room on the on like the dining table is all of the burgers from the night before, like just spread out, like all the leftover ones. And I literally <laughs> was just eating them, like at like the morning no. cold and shit, just because I was like, I need food. <laughs> oh my god! Thank well, you. Gia- and hungover, but um, today. what'd you say? Learn things about you today. Oh yeah, we're learning all sorts of things about us. You know, that's what this um top ten is about: being vulnerable and exposing yourself. But <laughs> let's move. Let's move on. Um, I'll get the number five and. Okay, so I'm going to do one that actually I just did a um, review podcast on because it's really good. It's a documentary miniseries on Netflix, um, and it's called The Confession Killer. Have you watched this, Brittany? I am not. I've heard about it, but I don't know what it is. So it's really interesting. It's a five-episode documentary series on Netflix about Henry Lee Lucas, right? And at first, so really quick, I'll describe it. Um, The first episode starts off with the fact that there's these two women missing and they think that it's this guy, Henry Lee Lucas, who you could tell is um, very uneducated. He is, but it's funny because like a lot of people describe him as like, he smells really bad. He's missing teeth. He doesn't have a very high IQ, but then others are like, oh, he's like, really pleasant, blah, blah, blah. So they, like, get him on these two murders, right? And he's bef- and he's before the judge because they're like, you've murdered these two people, which, by the way, he had already been in prison for, like, 16 years for killing his mom, and then he had gotten out. 
And so he's on trial for killing these two women. Judge is like, blah, 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 blah. And then Henry Lee Lucas is like, well, what about the other hundred women that I've killed? And they're like, what the fuck? So it happened where, like, these, like, Texas Rangers, like, you know, took him in. And he's confessing to, like, 360 murders, right? You have all these people from all these different counties. And they're, like, they're closing all these cases because it's, like, he's confessed to all of them. He's, like, yeah, I killed this person. I killed that person. I killed this woman. Huh? Are they actually finding them or is he lying? Well, here's where it gets interesting, right? So it's like he's this big deal because, like, the country is like, what the fuck? Like, he's killed all these women, you know? He's, like, going to the sites and everything. He's showing them. He's describing in perfect detail, you know? And so at some point, this journalist comes in who this journalist is the same journalist who had done a whole thing on Ted Bundy, like, interviewing him. So this guy... So this journalist comes with these, like, two Japanese filmmakers, and they're interviewing Henry Lee Lucas. And, you know, again, it's, like, really weird. Like, the whole thing also is how, like, well the Texas Rangers, like, treated him. Like, Henry Lee Lucas walked around the, like, jail without handcuffs. He, like, you know, smoked all the cigarettes he wanted. He had coffee all the time. He was, like, literally... Marvel short all over again. Yeah, he's like, and but like, he's answering the phones of like the hotline and everything, like you know, acting as if he's like, as the journalist described at some point, he's like, this is the most attention that anyone has ever given Henry Lee Lucas. So the whole point that I bring up the journalist and the two Japanese filmmakers is at some point they're talking and Henry Lee Lucas goes, you know, I've killed some women in your country as well. And the Japanese guys are like, Oh really? Cause it's a small country. Like you, you would kind of have been found out. And he's like, no, he's like, they didn't find me out. He's like, I killed a few in your country. And they're like, well, how did you get there? And he's like, well, I drove. And the journalist is like, something isn't right here. And you find yeah. out that like, he didn't commit all these murders. The Rangers were just so desperate to close all these cases that they were bringing him to these sites. They were giving him the the stuff beforehand and just like, and because Henry Lee Lucas had a very low IQ and he was, you know, acting as if he was like part of the investigation. He felt super important. Like he was confessing and they chill. Stop it. And they even had this, like, and the Rangers even brought this nun to come in who was really nice to him and even says, like, this is the nicest a woman has ever been to me. And so she was, like, you know, urging him to confess because, you know, cleanse your soul, God, you know, wants you to, blah, blah, blah. But the way that they started finding out that things weren't right was, one, he confessed to the murder of this one girl, and and they took him to the house, and he was describing how he got in. But the parents of the victim were like, there's no way. His story's wrong. He's saying he went through this door, but there was a huge, massive cabinet in the way. He would have had to move that. It wasn't ever moved, you know. Um, And then at the same time, and then so then there was this other um, detective from another county who went back to her supervisor and was like, something doesn't sound right. And her supervisor's like, this is what you're going to do make up a case, get some generic photos, get some oh, generic shit. details. I think he goes and, 
present that, you know, bring it in front of the guy. So she did it. She brought it in front of Henry Lee Lucas, and he confessed to a made-up case. He oh, was like, oh, I yeah, I, I need so, to watch this. Jesus. Yeah. So it was this whole documentary of, like, Henry Lee Lucas and, like, not knowing, like, did he even kill anyone? And then they – so in, then in the documentary series, they discover, like, how DNA later – because this happened in, like, the 80s and everything. So then, like, later, as DNA came more available, they've closed 30 of the cases that Henry Lee had previously confessed to with other killers having obviously been the person who – was the killer, right? And it's just this whole crazy thing about, like, Henry Lee Lucas and the Texas Rangers and a um, one district attorney who, like, clearly saw that it was bullshit and how his, like, life got ruined up and got turned upside down and how then Henry Lee Lucas recanted all these confessions saying, like, they were like, well, you know, you showed the detectives where the bodies were. And he's like, I didn't drive the car. He goes, how... They they what? took it's so crazy it's so insane this whole thing and he was friends with this guy Otis and I forget who but he is an actual killer and I forget who he killed I'll look it up in a second but it's so crazy Brittany I'm sorry uh, I don't know what your thoughts on it all it's terrifying it yeah it's it's very crazy um, but it's very con- compelling because you know this is going to sound really crazy but not that i'm like some aficionado when it comes to like serial killers but you know i feel like you know the big ones right yeah uh, ted, ted bundy jeffrey dahmer richard ramirez you know blah, blah 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 it's like if you have a guy who's killed 360 people more than any of the ones that i just mentioned I feel like you would have known about it. <laughs> like I had never heard about this guy. And I was like, eventually they're caught. Exactly, exactly. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense or anything. Oh, so so um, another reason was um, Henry Lee Lucas was friends with this guy, Otis Toole, who is the guy who um, – you know the um, host of America's Most Wanted? Yes. You know he only starred America's Most Wanted when his son was killed. Well, his son I was killed. Like he had a tragic story of why he even started it. Yeah, so his son was killed by this guy Otis Toole, who was what? a serial killer who killed it about six people. It all connects the extended universe. Um, so... But the crazy thing is that Otis Toole was, like, backing up Henry Lee Lucas's like, claims. Like, oh, yeah, we would just kill all these women. We were driving across country. So it was, like, this really insane story because it's, like, you didn't know what to believe because Henry Lee Lucas kept going back and forth because then suddenly he got, like, the death penalty, right? And then he's saying he didn't do any of this stuff. And then um, it's funny. So George Bush Jr., you know, W., he was governor w he was governor at the time and it's the first like uh death penalty pardon in texas that uh george so henry lee lucas still got life in prison for because they were able to confirm that he did kill the two women 
that he they had got him for in the beginning, right? But the death penalty charge wasn't because of those two women. It was because of this other case that they then already proved Henry couldn't have killed because they had DNA that didn't match him. So it was like, yes, he should spend life in prison, but, you know, he shouldn't take a death penalty for a crime that he didn't commit. So George George Bush actually, like, reversed that um, charge because he's like, you know, there's doubt here and no one should be put to death when there's doubt. So, um, I mean, Henry Lee Lucas ended up dying in prison from, like, fucking a heart attack or emphysema or something because the guy literally smoked, like, a fucking two packs of cigarettes a day. Um, You could see he was, like, missing all of his teeth except for, like, two, and the two were, like, fucking arch. Um. It's so crazy, Brittany. You should definitely, if you like true crime stuff, which I do, you should definitely watch it because it's a roller coaster. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like there is something like just fascinating about that because it's something that we as humans know is wrong. From the beginning of history, we know that murder is wrong. And then there's people that do it so freely, but then also admit to things they haven't done. I think it just really catches, like, the human imagination. Well, and it certainly will play into my next pick if you don't take it, which is fine. If you do take it, I have others. That's no problem. Um, But having to deal with, like, people who confess to to crimes that they don't commit. But The Confession Killer, I certainly suggest it's on Netflix. It's five parts. Um, I know that I kind of gave a lot away, but, I mean, it's common knowledge. You can, you know, Google it. But there's a lot of twists. There's a lot of twists and turns that I didn't include. It's just insane because, again, like, I watch a lot of stuff with these well-known killers in it because, as you said, there's, like, that morbid fascination that you have with them. And the fact that I have never heard of Henry Lee Lucas, and I'm like, if he killed 360 women, like, I feel as if we not only would have known about him, but there would be a lot more coverage, a lot more documentaries. Because, you know, I don't know if you remember, Brittany, a couple of years ago, like, the Internet suddenly became obsessed with Ted Bundy. Oh, I know, and which is so weird. Like, it's, I knew there was some people that just loved him, like, in a, like, the sick way. Yeah. But I was like, and I would hear about those kind of people, but I didn't know what, what lately has become the fascination. So let me tell you really quick before we move on, um, what you recall that there's a Netflix movie starring Zac Efron, which... I feel like I've gotten to really like him. I feel that he wants to get away from his, like, high school musical days and, like, present himself as a serious actor. And I also think he seems like a very nice person because he had this whole documentary about, like, him traveling the world and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, so in this movie, which has, like, the longest fucking name ever, it's, like, wickedly evil, you know, blah, 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 blah. He, He plays Ted Bundy. And and in the movie, they show real life footage of like girls at um like at court at the court going, oh my god, Ted Bundy couldn't have done this. He's so handsome, you know, blah blah. blah. And I'm like, have you like 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 Zac Efron's good looking, but have you seen the real Ted Bundy? He was not good looking. So the fact that you have like all, like back in the day, all these girls were like, he's so handsome, and it's like. You're twisted. 
Like, like, are you stupid? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just saying, Brittany. It just, not that it should crack me up, but I just can't believe, like, how many people, like, fawned over him back in the day. And as you said, still to this day, which is, like, really weird. It's so crazy. People are creepy. They really are. But, um, yeah, Confession Killer, Brittany, you should definitely watch it. I think you'd like it. Um. Let's move on. What What is your number four? I'm going to go with, uh, and this one I still need you to watch. It's Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. Oh, God, you told me about this. I, I've almost put it on a few times. <laughs> oh, I have to watch it. And you'll have to forgive me because I don't know the Mafia names as well, like of the different families. But, you know, this whole, uh, you know I love Mafia shit. I, like. I know it's really romanticized, but I am obsessed, Tia, obsessed. And it's like, um, remember when I was like, because I told you I'm obsessed, I was like, oh, mafia and Italian shit. And I was like, oh, I have my own New York Italian friend now. <laughs> I love you. I, I know you're part of the mafia secretly. No, I'm joking. But, uh, Forget no. about it. Sorry, I'm like crying over here. I was playing the game Mafia Two, where it is like, uh, like after World War Two type mafia shit, and the way that they talk, I'm like, ma, ma, it's like it makes me laugh so hard. Like whenever the the dude's like yelling for his mom, and it just makes me giggle. I'm sorry, don't don't judge me, Tia, but um. But yeah, I love mafia shit. And this whole documentary is about how in the late 70s, 80s, uh, about how the mafia really got a hold on New York and how they went about it. Because, you know, the mafia had really, you know, you had Al Capone and all the others, but I feel like it weaned off after in Chicago. Yeah, well, that was Chicago, but you know what I mean? Like with the, the earlier mafia, right? It's like with during the Prohibition and that really gave rise to it. But whenever, uh, like, um, during the 80s, everything, it had, like, really picked up, which it had been going on, but I think 80s was really in, like, the heyday of it, but, um, and, and I love it because there was actually dudes from, like, the mafia that were still in it, but, you know, after everything disbanded with, like, uh, and this whole documentary is about how they brought down the mafia in New York City, and it was called Fear City, and that's, like, how you really got, like, even though Batman had existed before this point, why it was so heavily influenced by New York City and about how, like, crime was really running rampant at the time. And it said, you know, in New York City, everybody was constantly in fear of the mafia. Like, it was a very, like, well-known thing that was going on, and people really couldn't do anything about it. So it's like there's some guys in the mafia that, like, explain their stories and explain what go on, and, uh, like, one of the guys said, you know, he goes, he was like, we were bad. He said, but he goes, we weren't like the Sicilian mafia. He goes, like, in Italy, where they'll kill your family. They'll kill your mom and your dad. They're like, they're like we had, like, morals about it, you know? They said, you kill a man, you know, you send flowers to the family type shit. And I was like, oh, no, that still sounds awful, though. He was like so fascinating because a lot of times you don't get to see it from, like, the mafia perspective. 
about how this guy, there was like this guy, he's like in his 70s, by the way, he does not look 70, I have to send you a picture of him, he is like, very like, wears the nice suit, you know, has the rings, you know, and he talks about how he, you know, he left the mafia after it really like disbanded, and you know, the families got brought down, but um, I'm trying to think of the word for it, but this whole like documentary is how they brought it down was because um, like, basically how they started like uh putting bugs and stuff to like listen and they were trying to get the evidence because they realized the reason that the the mafia hierarchy worked so well is that you could get one of the little guys but it wouldn't work up the ladder you had to get the boss right of the family if you really wanted to do anything but the bosses were untouchable because they were umbrellaed by all the soldiers right because i think mm-hmm. what it was like there was the the bosses. There's like the soldiers. Uh, the, it, there's what's the Italian word for captain? I don't know if you know off the top of your head. But it was what they called like their like their captain. Like that was the head over the soldiers, you know. And so there was all this stuff going on. Well, they passed a law that basically you could you could group get people right you could group prosecute at this point Mm -hmm. because before you could only get one guy at a time right like Mm -hmm. but if you could get that affiliation and it's about how like they why like there was one part where they uh like one of the bosses he uh he had an issue with his television right Mm -hmm. and and like i can't remember like i guess he like called a repairman but they, like, had intercepted this call about the repairman and sent their own guy and how he had to play it off. Uh, like, um, or, like, they, like, forced, like, it to get static, right? So it would mess up so they would call the repairman. And the guy's, like, giving the account about, like, how he's, like, sweating his ass off because – and it's, like, the real guys in it that, that planned all this – going into the mafia boss's house. And, you know, he said, you know, there was that, like, air of, like, like of terror almost because he's like i he goes yeah like he was fine right but he said he goes you realize if you slip up you're dead he said and nobody's ever gonna find me and you know and there was no way to track him there was no like you knew where he was but there was nobody watching him right and so so like they had it like synced up that the moment like he put something in he would call the guy and be like oh yeah will you test it now and and link it up where the static would stop. Like, oh, he fixed it. But really, he planted a wire in the TV because the dude was obsessed with the television, right? And I'm, mm. I can't remember which mob boss it was at that, like, time. But, like, how they set things up were, like, there was this restaurant where all the, like, the bosses would get together. And how it, they put a wire in the, uh, in the like, chandelier above and how it got found before, right? Because it was a quick job. And how you could hear them being like, well, what the fuck is that, you know? It just, it was so amazing, like, watching how it came down and, like, the bosses, like, realizing. Um, and it also explains about the one boss that got shot down in the streets while all this, like, evidence was getting brought forth. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, and they even found out about one of the bosses having an affair with his maid and how, you know, she was young. And it was like that, like, they're like, um, but one of the ladies who said she would have to, like, listen to the recordings was really confused one day because 
she they had like a bug in the kitchen or something and she started hearing noises and that's when she realized that the boss was having an affair with his like young maid in the kitchen and so they were like oh no so there was at one point they were like they said it was like her own little soap opera because there's that one point the maid gets upset because she feels used or something you know and he's always like giving her lavish gifts right and the boss, like, uh, what was it? The, she she ends up leaving because she's so mad at him. And he would always, like, talk to her like a child, right? Like, oh, look, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. You know, all this shit. But she said, if I come back, I want to come back through the front door. Because it was back when the maids were coming through, like, the side entrance or the back entrance. And the dude's, like, married. And they were talking about how it's such a disrespect to his wife but I was like this shit is like some drama like like what the hell was going on but it's such a good documentary I know like going on but you need you need to watch I can tell that you love it (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny because and and you know it's funny you talk about like Rudy Giuliani because he actually has his part in the documentary explaining what it was like because uh, I can't remember what he was at the time, like what the district attorney or like, I don't know what he w- was at this point that like they really had to go through him and that he was like really young when it happened. Oh my gosh. No, you, okay. So for those who are listening, Brittany has talked about this fear city documentary forever. She has wanted me to watch it. I just haven't gotten a chance to, but it sounds like super interesting, a uh, very soap opera ish as you have explained, but I'm the whole like thing with the mafia to me, that's interesting is I feel that it's not really around like how it was in the past. Like you look at things like the mafia or say I watched this documentary one time about the Yakuza in Japan and things like that don't really exist anymore because it's like the world that is now it can't exist in because like the documentary I watched about the Yakuza is Yakuza is like all these guys who are probably these like, like really feared, um, uh, you know, people um aren't really that anymore. They're all these like old guys who are kind of like not making any money at all, pretty much poor, almost homeless, you know, and shit like that, and with no power whatsoever. Just really yakuza in name, and these are people who were once like so feared, who ran things, very rich, blah blah. blah. And I feel like that's almost like how the mafia is now. Which if the mafia is listening, uh, don't come after me i still respect you you know i'll kiss the ring um but (laughs) i i wanted to elicit a a laugh from you and i was like oh geez this joke isn't working well at all is it no i loved it i loved it um but what was i gonna say no i mean it sounds like super interesting the mafia is always a very unique topic in America because obviously they have the mafia over in Italy, but I feel like the way we think of mafias running is so unique to the American experience. And funny enough, by the way, um, Italians weren't the first mafias in this country. The Irish were. So um, it's just interesting. Everyone associates the mafia with Italians, which 
there certainly was so many Italian mafia families. And that's another thing. A lot of them are families, right? I think that's what makes the mafia, like the Italian mafia and the Irish mafia, different from, say, gangs today. Gangs are very much, which, by the way, another great documentary, um, Bloods and the Crips Made in America is a fantastic documentary. But gangs are really just like individual people who kind of like come together for the purpose of you know coming together for whatever gangs do again i'm not trying to get like you know blasted or anything so you know i'll I'll be quiet but um it's it's different from say the mafia where everyone was pretty much related right so it's just it's interesting the um progression of these big organizations in America. It it just it it's so wild in it because it was really like I definitely could see if you were a young man living in like poorer situations and and a family's coming in and going, well, you know, you can be a part of this family. You can get sworn you know and having like something to unify because these the way these men talk that used to be part of the the mafia and how much they missed it and how it sounds like they would go back to it in an instant makes me go, man, they really must miss it. You know what I mean? Like, there well, was because something- you had pa- you had power, you had status, you had money, you were able to provide, and as you said, it if you're you know, someone in the neighborhood and you're not making money and you can't get it in the traditional ways, if, you know, one of these big guys who's very respected in the neighborhood says, like, hey, you know, I can I can give you some money. You want to do some little things here and there? And you'd be like, okay. Um, and usually they rise up. So, And a lot of the times these mafia members did have status in higher positions than, say, just street level. So in politics or as restaurant owners or whatever, you know, and you can do that. It was all about, like, taking care of your own. If uh, someone disrespected you, then you had people behind you that would uh, speak on your behalf, essentially. That's, like, the wild thing to me. I guess it's, like, I think by the reason why it gets so, like, romantic is it's, like, especially for like okay so you like we talked about this stuff it's like i feel like and and tell me if i'm like generalizing here like family is so important in italian culture that i think a lot of times it's not as say like like i love my family but i feel like in certain circumstances there there's closer knit I, I try to think of the word for it. Do you know what I'm kind of meaning? Like you don't like, go against the family. <laughs> you don't go against the family. Yeah, uh, Italian families. What did you say? I'm just trying not to generalize or offend you. Like that. You know what I mean? Like I, I hope I'm making sense. Like I just feel like so like. Like, I can't speak for other cultures. There's obviously other cultures where family is very important as well. That's why 
they say um, the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding was so popular because, you know, you didn't need to be Greek in order to like it because there are plenty of other cultures where family is that close. But I can speak for my own because we are Italian-American, so it's like it is very, like, you're close. You do anything for your family. You don't, you know, like, even if, say, someone annoys you or something, that's still your family member, right? Um, So we are very close, and we do, um, you know, we know the importance of uh, fucking getting together for holidays and, you know, doing things. So anyway, yeah, so it's it's very much like that. I forget what I was going to say. Italian, uh, like, all right, um, the whole, like, thing with the mafia, right? And I know this is generalizing because I didn't watch the documentary or anything, but I feel that, like, I feel like something like this could really happen, right? Um, If you ever watch The Godfather, (laughs) there's a scene. Have you ever watched The Godfather, Brittany? Have we talked about this? Yeah, 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 I've seen it, I've seen it. So, you know, there's a scene where um, this actor who you're supposed to assume is like Frank Sinatra, even though they don't name him Frank Sinatra. He goes to Don Corleone and he says that um, he wants to get this part, but this director doesn't like Italians, which was a thing back in the day, like about Italians, right? So it's like. He wants this part, but the director doesn't like Italians, and that's how you get the scene where the director wakes up in his bed and there's the fucking horse's head there because it's like, you know, he was showing them, like, you know, this is what we can do. And then the next scene is Don Corleone in his, you know, house, and this bouquet of flowers comes, and he's like, oh, what's uh, what's this from? And they're like, oh, from that actor. He got that role. He wanted to thank you. (laughs) You So it's like... That's what you call on to the mob for. <laughs> it's so crazy. Oh, my God. God. There was a guy in that documentary, like, who his job was. He was the one that would shake down people for money. And he's like, yeah, I broke a lot of legs. So I'm like, <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Dude. <laughs> oh my god now I just I know it's about the documentary but now I just want to watch The Godfather again just because like there's so many great scenes in that freaking movie um but you know you don't mess with family like you don't mess with family remember in The Godfather when freaking the sister was getting the crap beat out of her by her husband and her fucking brother Sonny would constantly go and beat the shit out of that guy oh it's like <laughs> I'm still giggling over your mom. You don't go against the family. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, my mom said that because I, she was acting crazy with the freaking, like, <laughs> pool attendant. <laughs> and I was like, listen, in this case, I have to go against the family. You're being a Karen, Mom. You're being a Karen. <laughs> oh, my God. She's going to murder you. you she bet. is. I, I'll pr- I pray for you. I pray for you, <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you just need to watch it Tia. it's so good i'm sorry for going put, on about it. i just like i love like and my obsession like other mafia is cool right but my obsession has always been the italian mafia and that's why i'm like i have to not sound like an idiot just know i really love it <laughs> It's okay. You're welcome into the family, Brittany. We'll take you in as one of our own. First thing, though, you're going to have to marry 
First thing that you're going to have to marry an Italian boy. You're going to have to get rid of the one you got now. But, you know, then well, <laughs> I don't have really any male cousins for you, but we'll find someone for you, Brittany. Well, oh, like, no. <laughs> you're the worst. You are literally the devil. <laughs> um, but I love it. I will put it on my list. I promise. But let's move on. Um, we're already going to go over the two hour mark. We still got three to go, but. I'm fine with it. As long as you're fine with it, I'm fine with it. It's fine. It's um, fine. So the third one I'm going to do is another documentary series, and it was a very talked about documentary series that is very hard. I'll put the trigger warning uh, before this. It has to do with, um, you know, uh, how do I say this, grooming and sexual assault. So I apologize Ugh. for those right now. Um, and I apologize for those who actually like this person as an artist, but I really don't care. It was a good fucking documentary, and he's a creep. So it's uh, Surviving R. Kelly. Have you watched Surviving oh R. Kelly? Oh, my God. I've, I've heard about it, and oh, I got things to say about it. But, yeah, yeah keep going. <laughs> it's very intense. It's a, as I said, a documentary series. I forget now how many ep- episodes it was, but it is insane. Like, I had all already been under the um what you calls it i had no delusions that this man did these sort of things that he was being accused of because he has been accused of these things for years and you know when you're younger and his whole like controversy came out of how he was like on videotape pissing on like a 14 year old girl and it's like you think about it and it's like that was a 14-year-old girl. Like, oh, and yeah. how did he still not get, like, you know, prosecuted back then? But the whole documentary goes through, you know, how R. Kelly had always kind of been a little, like, too sexual. And they even um, interview his, say, like, music teacher who said R. Kelly was always very talented. He was very musically inclined, but she always would tell him like you know you gotta stop hanging around these teenage girls because even in his like young 20s he's like hanging out at the malls he's going to the freaking um high schools and shit right so he always had problems and if you listen to his music especially his early on music it's very sexual it's very sexualized it was only until you know, he did I Believe I Can Fly that his manager tried to make him sprinkle in this, like, more family-friendly content to get, you know, more noticed by, like, say, the mainstream media. Um, But it it goes into Aaliyah, which I didn't know that Aaliyah ever had anything to do with R. Kelly. They were married, weren't they? They they were married, and he forged the freaking documents. She, she was 15 years old, and he forged the documents to say that she was 18. And they even interviewed, um, like, backup dancers who toured with R. Kelly, saying, like, of course we saw them in bed together. He was Because he would say, like, oh, I never had sex with her before we got married or anything, blah, blah, blah. And, like, it's all like these backup dancers bullshit. were, like, like – yeah, like, that's not true. Um, he talks about how um, there was, I forgot her name, but there was this one, like, rapper, female rapper who was, like, up and coming, and her cousin is the 14-year-old girl in that tape, and she talked against R. Kelly, and it ruined her career, essentially, because none of these people wanted to go against R. Kelly. It had interviews of his ex-wife, who he 
um, would fucking, like, verbally abuse. Like, one of his former friends said that there was a time where they were, like, hanging out in his house, and the wife, like, came downstairs, and she was like, can I go to the kitchen? Can I get something to drink? And he was like, yeah, you're allowed. Like, things like that, um, talking about how he was, like, holding these girls, grooming them. One of the girl, he had this, like, thing where he kind of, like, they were alluding that maybe he kind of liked guys as well. Because with Aaliyah, if you look at her, like, career, there was at some point where she started wearing, like, really baggy clothes and, like, really kind of, like, guy-centric clothes. And they said that that was R. Kelly's doing. And then there's another girl recently that he was holding that, like, they said before she got with R. Kelly, she was, like, you know, very feminine, and suddenly he, like, wanted her to shave her head, wear very baggy clothes, wear, like, traditionally, like, male clothes, and that he would even refer to her as a him sometimes. So, like, really crazy things, and, like, all these, like, you know, um, what you call it, like, confessionals of these women, like, even women who at first were on R. Kelly's side and did defend him and him, like, getting them to go to his house and then pretty much like refusing for them to leave and just how manipulative this man is. And I'm sorry if anyone listening is an R. Kelly fan, but this man is wrong and he deserves for his career to go crashing and burning Mm -hmm. and to be in jail. Well, you know what's crazy about this? Like, this is like my little side note on it. The amount of like sway people get if they were a good singer kills me like chris brown or r kelly and people just forget forget, right i had never been more pissed off whenever like like because i had known this stuff right and i had heard about things and and only one guy on like the spread i was on right only one guy I would I was like, Art Curly's messed up, he grooms and they're like, Oh, blah 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 you know, and stood up for him. Only one guy took my side and went, Yeah, that's messed up, you shouldn't groom people. You and like but then again, he still freaking took Chris Brown's side and was like, Well that happens and it's just that it made me oh, sick. Like I oh, was it like, happened How- that they beat the shit out of the listen, I'm not trying to like, you know, all right, this is going to sound very generalized, but there are certain men, I won't say all men, but there are certain men who side with their own. It doesn't matter, like, what they do, you know? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they'll side yeah. with Chris Brown because it's like, oh, well, you know, she must have did something to piss him off, you know? It's her fucking face looked like a fucking punching bag after that. That's another thing. How Chris Brown still has a platform I have no idea. He's not even that good of an artist. I, it's like, oh, this like they have friends like, okay, that's what got me was it's like, um, I, okay, this could sound bad, okay? And this mm-hmm. is where, like, I do get stressed out because, like, I could never support someone after they did that because that's just inherently in them at that point, right? Like, to to do that. Like, they don't just stop, Right. Like, mm-hmm. they have the possibility of doing that again, and that's why, like, I did have a moment where, like, um, I, like, I love Jamie Foxx, right? Mm-hmm. And it was really sad about his sister passing away, but he tagged Chris Brown in it because Chris Brown was, like, his sister's favorite person, but I was mm-hmm. like, are you friends with him? Like, you know, like, how could you be friends with someone like that? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's very – I do get what you mean because you're like, oh, come on, Jamie Foxx, like, do better. Um, it It is crazy to think about. I, I won't comment too much it's like on that. It's like people it, just forget that it that it happened. And I'm not saying anything against him because I love Jamie Foxx, but it does make me go, like, how do people just – they just, they yeah. act like it never happened, or they're like, oh, well, he's paid for it. It's like, but I just feel like you can't, like, we're so easy to cancel people for saying something when they were, like, 14, 16, but we get someone that literally beats a woman half to death, and we just go, well, he sings real good, and it's like, what? What? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. exactly. I feel about it. No, I feel very strongly about it, too, um... I kind of feel that way about Michael Jackson and there's like a whole another group of people who like love Michael Jackson and it's like, you know what he did, right? Like, I'm sorry, he may not have been actually convicted, but there's a lot of strong evidence against it. But I won't continue with that because this is, I never saw Leaving Neverland. I heard it was very controversial because, you know, a lot of the Michael Jackson supporters were very pissed about it, but I haven't watched it yet. But Surviving R. Kelly... I just think it's, like, I, Brittany, I cried, like, so much during Surviving R. Kelly because these women were so manipulated by a man who was given so much money and so much forgiveness and no one held him accountable. And then also what pissed me off was that, like, they had his brothers on and his brother's, like, full-on supporting him. Like, oh, well, you know, sometimes you got to be that way to a woman. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, go fuck good. yourself. Um, You know, his wife, like, explained that while she's pregnant with his son or whatever, he's, like, out banging other girls and shit like that. I mean, because you have to remember that he was married for a good while, and all of the accusations of all these other girls and how he groomed them and how he kept them is all while he was married because he was also doing the same thing to his wife, keeping her in a room, preventing her from leaving. You know, and I'm sorry, the, like, every, there's an interview with uh, R. Kelly. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I think he's being interviewed with Gail King is her name. But she – and she, like, was so – like poised and like professional in that moment because he is ranting and raving. Have you ever seen that interview? The one where he's like, no. y'all killing me. And he like gets up and everything. And he's like all angry. Have you seen that? I have not. Oh my God. There's an interview that happened within the last couple of years and he's being interviewed, I guess in his home or something. And, she, and the interviewer, this woman, Gail King is just, you know, sitting down very like professional and stuff, asking him questions. And he's like, you're killing me, you know, blah, 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 blah. and he's like getting up, like yelling. And she's like, you know, you need to sit down. And he's like, She's like, we need to talk about these things. And he's like, like his publicist has to come out and like calm him down because he's acting crazy. And, you know, a few people are like, oh, like, look, he's so distraught. He's crying. And I'm like, no, that's because his like he's finally getting called out on his shit and he's fucking freaking out over it. So crazy. Because the thing is, is that America like really forgave this guy because they're like, oh, well, you know, he married 15-year-old Aaliyah and he pissed on a girl. But remember that song, I Believe I Can Fly? Yeah, that was a great song. (laughs) (laughs) Americans have such, like, 
a fascination with singers. And that's the thing. Really is, and that's the thing is, like, there's a lot of people that can sing just as well, if not better than a lot of these singers, but because they have the face for it. Because who was the last time you can think of, like, there's not very many singers or performers out there that if they are not just either very attractive or unconventionally attractive, people are, like, they they don't make it. You have to have, like, all these things to make it. I think that's why everybody likes, what's his name, Ed Sheeran, where they were really amazed he made it because he's, like, people find him very unconventionally attractive. You know what I mean? Right. No, I completely agree because, you know, R. Kelly, like, isn't a bad-looking guy. You know, Chris Brown isn't necessarily a bad-looking guy. And it's like, so, and then they have, like, a nice physique and everything. And they have, um, because they're not, like, in the rap genre, right? They're in, like, the R&B genre, which is, like, very sensual and yada yada. And so suddenly they're you know, appealing to a lot of people because maybe that's a song that you go and dance to. Maybe that's a song that you, like, make love to or something, right? And it's, like, suddenly it's so, like, you know, personal to you that you can't even think of holding these singers accountable. It really is with singers, right? I mean, I don't feel like we, we treat actors like that. It's really with singers that they get away with fucking everything. Well, you saw how quick they were to cancel, say, like, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, from Pirates of the Caribbean, I can't think of his name. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. It's like, and we've Which seen that a lot. That- me. Which kills me, I'll say this right now, because now we're, like, Brittany, you and I are getting, like, oh, I hear myself. <laughs> are you okay? Does it sound better yeah. now? Yeah, I, like, heard myself, and I was like, that's creepy. What the fuck is that's going creepy. on? But, no, I was going to say, that's another thing, and, like, you and I are going in on this podcast today with our fucking, like, I'm opinions sorry. right now. No, I love it. I love it. I was just going to say, like, I'll say this really quick about Johnny Depp, like, it, there is evidence of him doing things, right, that are wrong, so I'm not going to sit here and say that I disagree with Warner Brothers firing him from, you know, the Fantastic Beast franchise, but if you're going to fire him, fire Amber Heard as well, because she too has done fucking shit, right? Like, she too has done shit. Just because she's a woman. And that's the thing that kills me because to me as like a fucking feminist, it's like it goes both ways. It should be equality all around, not fucking preferential treatment. So it's like Amber Heard has also had a significant amount of evidence against her. She should be fired as well and should not be in the next Aquaman, should not be in the fucking Justice League reshoots or anything. But that's my fucking opinion there. But surviving R. Kelly, surviving R. Kelly is a very well done documentary i applaud the people uh, behind this documentary having the pretty much the balls to go up against like such a well-known singer sorry i forget forget now he may have they had a lot of celebrities in it a lot of people so um it has been a little while since i've seen because i only watched it once i could only emotionally take it once uh, because it was very emotional 
but I'm saying that, like, I applaud the people behind surviving R. Kelly for being truthful and for being bold enough to go up against this guy who has seemingly been untouchable for all of his career. So I really just, like, it's a great documentary. Um, It is very hard to watch because there's a lot of these women whose their lives have been ruined by this pretty much this psychopath. Like, I'm sorry, I'm going to be very opinionated. He is a sociopath. He does not care about anyone. um, And he has taken a lot emotionally from these women. I feel really bad. So, yeah, uh, surviving R. Kelly. Wow, this got very heated. I'm Brittany. But it was just crazy. But um, let's go on to number two, which is your number one. I'm excited to find out which one you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I believe it's okay. I was just trying to sit there. I was like, last documentary. I mean, we got to have Tiger King on here, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just necessary to have Tiger King. This is freaking, like, I don't, like, I watched it late, right? Well, like, almost as the hype is, like, dying down. Like, I know people still love it, but I did not realize what I was getting myself into. Because at first, I was was like, oh, it's about these people that keep tigers, and, you know, they're crazy lies. But suddenly, you got, like, a freaking, like, sex ring going on, basically. You've got, like, like, black market freaking tigers. You've got, like, okay... Tell me to you, that doc, that doc dude, he's, he skeeves the fuck out of me. Okay, can I, something, can I say something really quick about Doc Antler, or Antler, or whatever his name is? Tell me. Little Punk, the rapper, after endorsing Trump, then went to go hang out with Doc Antler, like, with his tigers. I'm like, no. oh, so you can skeevier now. <laughs> No, Doc Antler. That's so scary. That dude, like, freaks me out. He's definitely running, like, a sex trafficking ring. 100%. (laughs) I don't know why he skeeves me so bad. And I think it's, like, especially that one girl telling her story. And it's, like, it's just, I don't know. And it's, like, and even, like, you can't go, oh, when she goes, oh, you know, she works on, like, slaves. They have to, like, work. And you hear, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we don't have a day off, but it's worth it for the Tigers. And it's like, mm, mm, mm. But the whole thing has just arrived because it's like we have, uh, come, why can't I think of his name? Tiger King. What's his Joe name? Exotic. Oh, Joe Exotic. I don't know why my brain, like, blanked out for a second. Yeah, freaking Joe Exotic. He is so wild, and, like, I went between, like, really, like, sympathizing with him to really hating him. Did you not feel that, where you're like, this dude's crazy, I kind of like him, and then you see more of the things he do, and I'm going to tell you, I was a big fan, before all this came out, of Big Cat Rescue. I used to watch it all the time on YouTube. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, and then you found out, and then you found out that, like, Carol Baskin murdered her husband. (laughs) had to have Tia. She had to have. Like, if she turns out to be innocent, but, like, the way she talks about it is so, like, almost cold. And maybe I'm like, well, you know, if you're always being accused, maybe, like, it would make you a little cold. But I'm like, no, this, this bitch is crazy. <laughs> and, like, I, I'm, I don't think, like, Joe Exotic, like, I'm trying not to, like, give 
like spoilers and everything, but the whole freaking thing is just a wild ride. And I feel so bad for, like, the guy that accidentally killed himself and the way you see the shock on the one dude who was running the campaign's face. Like, I know it's, like, messed up, but you'll get what I mean. It was almost comical because it didn't look real, the shock on his face. You know what I mean? Um, My opinion is that that wasn't accidental. I think that he really meant to do that, but that's just my opinion with that. Well, it's like, I, I sat there and wondered about that, too, and I think, I don't think maybe it was purposeful, but I don't think he would have, I don't think he took the cautions to make sure it wouldn't happen, if that makes sense. Right. No, it, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying, it's just, it's wild, it, like, I'm trying to give the quick version because I know that, like, I have held you up a long time, like, gushing. And, but it's just, like, the whole story of, like, and, and it's hard because you know as a person that you've been like, yeah, I'm a pet a tiger. You know, that's so cool, you know. And then when you hear all the stuff, you're like, man, I don't want to pet a tiger anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, it like, Tiger King was so crazy. I watched it when it first came out on Netflix, and I was like, this is the wildest ride that I ever thought. Because at first you're like, oh, it's just about this guy who's really eccentric, right? And then yeah. it just goes, like, so much more. And as you said, like, at first you're like, you know, you almost sympathize with Joe Exotic because he grew up in um, – you know, an area where he wasn't accepted for his sexuality. His father essentially disowned him once he came out. And you're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, and then and then there is a part also where you're almost mysticized at the fact that he is with these big tigers and they're seemingly, like, not harming him. And you're like, wow. And then you start learning more and you're like, Joe Exotic is insane. He definitely forced these, like, misfit guys to marry him who weren't even gay. I think his ex-husband. I don't even think they were bi. And that's the thing. No, no. I don't think. I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> when I first watched it, I was like, oh, well, you know, they're bi, you know. They sink because, you know, you later on do see. They were with, when it's like, no, they, they had no inkling of even thinking that's what they were. Because, you know what I mean, like, there is some point, like, I just think he had, one, they were on drugs, right? Okay. And two, mm-hmm. they sticked around because he gave them drugs. And I feel, in a way, drugs and because they were misfits. You know? Yeah, and I feel like, in a way, like, it's sad that maybe he felt like he had to keep them there with drugs, but also you can't go, well, he, it's okay because he was lonely. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know what I mean? As, as, listen, as eccentric as Joe is, right, there's someone for everyone out there, right? He could have yeah. easily found someone, you know, gay or bi who would have wanted to be with him. He didn't need to essentially force people who didn't have anywhere to go in life to stay with him and then as you said feed them drugs to keep them you know maybe complicit which is why I think that one of his husbands wanted to kill himself because it's like he was being manipulated 
paid by this guy. So again, not only was Joe Exotic a manipulator, um, you find out he was harming his his animals. There's a lot of animal abuse in this show, which, you know, scared me and freaked me out. And then all the players around him, right? As you said, Doc Antler, who was like the cringiest, creepiest motherfucker, which is crazy because I watched a documentary from 10 years ago when they were talking about big cats. And he's featured in the documentary. Shaquille O'Neal has been to his place. So it's insane. Because... <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. We get so excited with it. Like, I just it's so wild and like everybody freaks me out at it. And what? He had that one lady so under her thumb. She didn't even sue him when she got her freaking arm eaten. I was um, gonna say that. <laughs> she she fucking went to work like the very next day. Are you crazy? No, it was so insane how like so dedicated Joe's workers were to him, right? Um, I was only going to say about the Doc Antler. I was only going to say about the Doc Antler thing is that, um, like, because I think with him, he provides, like, tigers and shit when movies, say, need them. Um, But the whole thing was, like, crazy. And then it was insane finding out about, like, Carol Baskin and, like, that whole subplot and everything. Brittany, it was the most insane fucking documentary series I've ever seen. I was like, I never expected any of this going into the show. (laughs) I just always still giggle over the, I'll never financially recover from this, because I instantly went. Not, oh, my lady just got, like, her arm eaten. I'm never going to financially recover from this. It was, no, it's fucking insane. It really was, um, you know, the whole thing when you think about it, right, because I think the girl with the one arm says at the end, she's like, everyone says that they're here for the animals. She goes, no animal has benefited from this, like, moment. And I'm like, that's really true. They've been killed, they've been exploited, they've been kept in environments that are not their environments. Even Carol Baskin, for her saying how much she loves her cats, puts them in cages as well. It's like, I'm sorry, you guys aren't zoos. You're fucking, like, backyard people with, like, property thinking that you can have these big animals that have no business being in this environment and it's really unsettling from like an animal perspective like no a tiger is not meant for you to parade around and give pet pet pets to i sorry i'm like stuttering now with this shit because it's like it really is crazy when you sit there and you're like no fucking animal has benefited from this yeah it's i don't know it's like it's wild how people look like their own selfish desires on stuff like that and the fact that, like, Joe Exotic wanted to kill Carol Baskin was really crazy as well. It's so like, insane. That dude, like, he was willing, like, to die over this shit. He was, like, taking it way too far. He was taking it insane. He really fucking was. And I have to say really quick, because, you know, I have to plug my shit always. Um, I did speak to, like, two detectives that were, um, which the interviews are on. 
The interviews are on Geek Fives Nation, so you can check them out. And I talked to them because uh, the ID channel did two separate additional Joe Exotic features, one being like a prequel, one being a sequel. Um, just insane. Like, there is, say, an open investigation into the disappearance of Carol Baskin's husband. And, you know, the one detective that I talked to about, say, Joe Exotic, he was like, right. He was like, you know, everyone is kind of like trying to like forgive him. Sorry about the police in the back. Um, like he said, you know, people are not taking it necessarily serious that this guy, you know, hurt the men that he forced to be his husbands. He hurt animals. You know, this guy is not a good guy. And he, but yeah, he's and getting people want to give him a pass. Right, and Joe Exotic is getting the exact attention that he's always wanted, and it's our fault. It's our fault, but goddamn, the documentary, the documentary is good. The documentary is really good. <laughs> I, I, as you said, Brittany, I don't think we can not talk about Tiger King. <laughs> I know it, it, it was just such a phenomenon, and I think it just it really captured people's attention. You completed it, right? Because I didn't realize that you had finished watching it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I finished it. I finished it. Oh, yeah, because I think um, when we were talking about it, you are like, oh, yeah, I watched another uh, episode. I watched another episode. I didn't realize that you had wrapped it up. Yeah, we wrapped it up. We were done with it. We we wiped <laughs> them out. Uh, Netflix go- does good documentaries, like um, – I think they really gained notoriety for their documentaries when they did say Making a Murderer. Um, But they do a really good job with their documentary series. I loved Tiger King. As much as I'm like, shit, we're giving Joe, you know, the exact exposure he's always wanted. You can't say that Tiger King wasn't the wildest thing you've seen. Oh, yeah, that was a crazy ride. (laughs) I love it. And... Brittany, we have gotten very emotional, very excited, very opinionated on this show, but I, I, I think that actually makes this one of my favorite because we're actually being us, so I appreciate oh, that. <laughs> and this is the uh, top ten favorite documentaries. We're down to the number one, and I'm going to go through our previous nine before we do that. We had March of the Penguins, Secrets of the Living Dolls, 9-11 the Twin Towers, Bowling for Columbine, Super Size Me, The Confession Killer, Fear City, Surviving R. Kelly, Tiger King, sorry, uh, indigestion there, and the number one, I'm going to end it nicely uh, with a nice documentary and also have to say that this is one of my favorite documentaries of all times just because, A, the subject matter and also the message behind it, and it's Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Have you ever heard of this documentary? I almost put that. It's so good. I love Jiro Dreams of Sushi. So uh, Jiro is this elderly man who is still alive and still kicking um, to this day. Um, He lives in Japan, and he owns one of the most expensive sushi restaurants in the world, but also one of the highest-rated sushi restaurants in the world. I believe that there's only 10 seats in the restaurant. There's waiting lists for, like, three months. Um, It's a complete 
like set price, a complete set menu. It's one of those things where like there's nothing else but the sushi. You go there and they pretty much just like give you 20 courses because it's like all just like one individual piece of sushi. Sushi is supposed to be like the freshest sushi ever, blah, blah, blah. Anthony Bourdain has been there. It's like Michelin star rated and all that. It's just so high. So the whole documentary is about this guy who has literally been working for like 70, 80 years of his life. And, shows no signs of retiring and it's all a documentary of how much attention he you know puts into his craft and how he's constantly trying to improve himself and how he finds this joy in his work that this is not work to him this is his life and this is what he loves doing and it's this whole background on him and his day, his life, how he grew up, his sons who are also, you know, quite old now at this point, um, one who owns another sushi restaurant, one who is still waiting essentially for his dad to give him the restaurant, which it doesn't seem like that's ever going to happen. Um, but it's this really wonderfully, like, beautiful, calm um freaking documentary and not only do I love it because I love sushi but I just love this guy and his like message in life pretty much like you know pick something that you love and just try to improve on it every single day for the rest of your life like finding this real joy in what you do which is I think something that even us as Americans and people in the world like don't often do we work jobs we hate we complain you know blah 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 and instead this guy has literally found the ability to just do something he loves every day and constantly think about to the point where he's refuses to retire because he just loves doing it um and I just love this documentary. I know, Brittany, you just said that you were going to put it on the list so I'd love to hear your opinions on this as well. Yeah, and it was like, I haven't fully finished it, but it's like, doesn't he have, like, where when you want to learn to make sushi, you actually have to, like, wash the rice for, like, ever before they'll even let you touch, like, the next part of the freaking process? Like, so that's, like, the... Yeah, that's, like, the real, like, um, craftsmanship of sushi making, which I don't know if they, you know, if a lot of people do that anymore, but you're supposed to be, like, an apprentice for 10 years, Um, and for Jiro, he requires you to be an apprentice of his for 10 years before you're even allowed to um, attempt to make the, um, like, the egg omelet sushi. Um, before you're even allowed to do something like that. Yeah, because to him it's like it's not this like fast like, oh, I just need to go there for a paycheck. It's like you need to love what you do. You need to be good at what you do, and it takes time and patience. Man, I wish I had that kind of patience. Maybe I can. I mean, (laughs) me too, me too, but I just love it. I love, like, the scenery. They follow Jiro as he goes to, say, like, the tuna markets in the morning to, you know, pick out the best grade that he can. And it's just this really, like, lovely documentary that I feel can be applied to almost everyone. It doesn't have to do anything with, like, you know, sushi or the food industry or anything. It just could have, you know... It's something that I don't feel like we do very often in life, and that's just enjoy our work. Yeah. Man, you know what? It makes me want to stream even more. 
<laughs> you gotta love what you do. You gotta love what you do, even in the days that maybe you don't feel like loving it. You know. So I just think that Jiro Dreams of Sushi is such a marvelous um, documentary. It's. Uh, I'm not sure where you can find. It. I'm sure you just Google it. It'll be somewhere. Um, it's. Is it? Is it? okay. Yeah. There you go. It's on Netflix. Go check it out on Netflix. Um, it's just really remarkable. I think that this guy is really just so. I first of all, I love it because there's at some point in the documentary that like someone is clearly calling into the restaurant to like make reservations and they're like oh do you have you know like dumplings or something they're like no it's just sushi and you're like how does a place you know be so successful with only serving sushi and having like you know three four month waiting list and you know a set price that's quite expensive do they're so successful people want to go to this restaurant for the experience and he's also very like you know strict in how you eat the sushi like you can't you know put any soy sauce on it you know you don't put any wasabi on it or anything like that you just eat it as he presents That's it okay. to you i don't like soy sauce anyways which is so weird. I love soy sauce. But the whole point of them saying, like, you know, you're not dipping or anything. Like, he puts it on your fucking plate and you eat it. <laughs> That's, like, where the customer is always wrong type situation. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't be like, oh, I'm going to order, too. It's like there is no ordering. You just sit down and he's just going to make whatever he makes for you. <laughs> you'll eat it and you'll like it. Exactly. <laughs> Well, oh, clearly so people do. <laughs> clearly people do. So I love Jiro Dreams of Sushi, and I wanted to end this um, documentary list with a nice one since we had some uh, hard-hitting ones earlier. But, yeah, Brittany, I love our list of our top ten favorite documentaries. Did you have any um, honorable mentions that you wanted to put out there before we um, wrap up? Probably just uh, Making a Murder, because that was, like, the first documentary of Netflix I had ever watched, and it really set the bar. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely suggest Making a Murder was very compelling if you want to talk about um, a documentary where it seemed like uh, maybe the guys didn't do it and they were being pushed into confessing that's a great true crime sort of documentary others that i would suggest is um i don't have the name in front of me but it's on netflix it's it's the zach efron um documentary series where he because it's really cool like you get to see him go around the world like to different countries and what they're doing to make like the country say like greener you know, using natural energy and everything. And you're like, wow, like this guy who's like an actor is really just seeming very sincere. It seemed almost like his kind of um, oh, like recovery journey because I think he's been sober for a few years and everything. And I just seen it felt like his journey to kind of like enjoy life a little more. And it was like nice to watch. Um, also, uh, Bloods and Crips making... Uh, made in America, and there's also this other documentary, I don't know the name of it, but I thought it was so cool, I watched it back in college, and it was all about how, like, the evolution of skateboarding in the 90s, talking about how, like, back in the day, like, you know, if, because there were skateboards around, but, like, people who would skateboard would only stand up straight, right, and that's how they would, you know, 
And, like, the first person to crouch down on a skateboard was like, what? Like, what is this? Like, the first person is like, I'm not going to stand up straight. I'm going to fucking crouch all the way down. Aaron would probably like it because no, it was all about, Aaron like. Aaron probably really like that because it really it, was just riding a certain way. And somebody was like, you know what? I'm going to make a trick. I'm going to go down a, a, a set of staircases. You know what I mean? It's very <laughs> No, it's like that's very much like what the documentary is. It's like this whole thing where it's like it was very like stiff the whole thing like of skateboarding beforehand. Then like the first person who's like, you see that abandoned pool there? I'm gonna go on it. And it's like what? I'm gonna skateboard. It's like what are you talking about? You skate on a straight road, and it's like no, no, no. I'm gonna jump on that rail, and it's like oh my god, mine blown. Like and the what? whole like. But so it explores, like, the whole culture in, like, the 90s in, like, L.A. of, like, the the X Games and, like, what paved the way for people like Tony Hawk to be fucking famous and shit. It's really cool. It's an epic documentary. I'm going to look up the name and I will get it to you because it's really cool. But, um, Brittany, I know I've kept you for quite a bit today. But please let everyone know where they can find you, what you got going on next, and all that good stuff. I'm going to say you can find me always on Twitch at Itty Bitty Brit. I've been playing a game called Code Vein, where it's basically an anime simulator, and I made a pink-haired bitch with cat ears, so you can tell how that went. Um, then uh, you can find me on Twitter at Itty Bitty Brit Zero, a good way of keeping up with my schedule. We always have a great time together. Uh, my community likes to pick on me, but you know what? I love them anyway. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Everyone, please make sure that you check that out. Um, I know that you were streaming last night, so everyone just give Brittany a round of applause because she streams Saturday nights and still can make it to the top ten on Sunday mornings. But as for me, please check me out, geekvibesnation.com. Um, I have all my articles, opinion pieces, reviews there, um, my interviews as well as my tea time with tia's are also on our youtube page which is geek vibes podcast please make sure you check that out we have enjoyed being here this morning let us know what your top documentaries are what we should be watching and everyone stay safe out there make sure you wear a mask um Brittany, it's been wonderful hope everyone has a great day bye now bye everyone